Warning, you are about to enter a world populated by the most appalling music ever made. Welcome to the search for the worst album of all time. This is Broken Records. But I hadn't been forgotten, I Joe. I'd been married a long time ago. Saint Bango. <laughs> a girl with kaleidoscope eyes. <laughs> You're beautiful. Hey, hey, I wanna be a rock star. All right, hello, welcome to Broken Records, the search for the worst album ever made in the long and storied history of music. This is episode 81 of the solo offshoot podcast of Riot Act, where you can listen to me, Stephen Hill. Hello, how are you doing? Uh, every Friday, alongside my co-host, Renfrey Deadman, who's also here. Hello, Renfrey. How are you, mate? Hello. I'm very well, Steve. How are you doing? Good. 81. Yeah. We've done 81 81. Of these. This is the 81st album of significantly poor quality mm. that we have covered thus far Absolutely. on the show. That's what we're trying to do. Find the worst album ever made. And we've got a doozy today. And because we um, have such a such a special band that we're talking about today, we have got a guest in with us as ever. As ever, our, our returning guest for the, th- the third time. It is... Mr. Tom Dare of the Hellbent for Metal podcast. Tom, you're back. You're back again. You can't get enough of I am these back. awful records. We do, we do keep asking. We do keep asking Tom to come back. To be fair, it's not. <laughs> it's not like Tom's coming along and begging to be oh, on. Oh, go show. on, please. Can let I me do Rob- shit records again. Let, please. let me let me do Robin Thicke. Go on, please, please. <laughs> no, to be clear, we, no. we we love having you on, Tom, and that's why we keep asking you back and and stuff like Maiden and Mega. We've done Maiden, Megadeth, and Machine Head, haven't we? Now, so well, we're about uh, to do Maiden, Renfrey. Don't jump the gun. Sorry. I mean, yeah, as much as I want this to again. be over and done with. It isn't yet, unfortunately. Uh, how have you been, Tom? What's going on? I'm pretty good. I am. I've just been back from Roadburn Festival for about a week, so I'm still slightly knackered. But, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. As it is one of the most incredible festivals in the world, I'm still kind of floating on on a um, a, a euphoric high somewhere that's mostly induced by psychedelic music. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I was very gutted I couldn't make it this year, but um, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm very very jealous but any very quick highlights before we get oh, into Christ. this uh very quick highlights um Alsace doing a kaida loon in full but not in order was brilliant yeah. um obviously the cult of luna perturbator uh, crossover thing was absolutely incredible yeah uh slift was unbelievable they did three sets that i couldn't get to the first two and went i'm not fucking missing the third for the anything and went along and just had the best fucking time that i've ever had involving a saxophone um and just kind of <laughs> lost all sense of time and and where i was in the universe just kind of floated along and just had an amazing roadburn is the place you lose yourself in the music because it is partially because the music's so good and they only really put on good stuff but also because the sound is absolutely incredible it is yeah um, yeah there is presumably a full review of this festival on your podcast, I, I believe, Tom. Is that Not as... Well, sort of. I mean, there's certainly a, a brief kind of dis- rundown of what was good. Um, what is the, There is more as a discussion with um, myself and some of the, the, the queer uh, road yes, burners of, mm. of uh, how the festival became somewhere that you can actually celebrate being queer because you had a bunch of queer artists playing, so vile creature... Uh, opened the main stage yeah, yeah. of the festival 
with uh, doing co- collaboration with Bismuth and were you know, generally queering the place up and were really kind of celebrating their themselves through their music. Um, and there were there was a, a panel discussion which I helmed a, about you know the good things about being queer in music, which was really rammed. The room was absolutely full of people who were saying we want to talk about this because this affects us too. Excellent. So um, there is a there is a kind of a brief discussion of how. And why Roadburn is that place for us? Wonderful. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, um, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, Hellbent for Metal, we're big fans of your work. Obviously, Tom, Thank as you. you know. You Hence why, you know, we uh, have you on the show. But that's not what this is. That all seems a little bit too posy and a little bit too nice for what <laughs> yeah, that this was happy. particular this is, this podcast is, is meant for. to be. <laughs> no. So, um, like I say, every week they have an album that comes out of the hat full of shit and we talk about said album it is not me and Renfrey and now tom we haven't got together and decided like we're gonna get this band we're gonna tell them all of the albums that we feature on the show are picked by their critical standing by their commercial standing by a fan reaction by a band reaction by something something at some point went wrong Hence why this album is here. It's nothing personal. For, well, from two of us this week, anyway, it's nothing <laughs> Yeah, personal. from you, it's uh, definitely personal. <laughs> yeah, it is, actually. Uh, fine. Because this week, we're talking about Virtue 11 by Iron Maiden, the 11th studio album from the fallen kings of heavy metal, as they were in 1998. Um, I mean, I mean in anyway. 98, that is, yeah, that's probably a fair assessment yeah, at that time it is. Yes, yes, yes. at that time yeah we'll get into a little bit of the aftermath um as we go through the record obviously which was released on the 23rd of march 1998 before we go any further though we should run down the flop 20 the 20 worst albums that we have covered thus far on the podcast starting at number 20 with the original soundtrack to sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band followed by eog and quig's eag and quag uh, Six Feet Under's Graveyard Classics Volume 2, Testify by Phil Collins, Blood, Sweat and Towers by Towers of London, Hard to Swallow by Vanilla Ice, The Rebirth by Little Wayne, Cut the Crap by The Clash, Angelic to the Core by Corey Feldman, Philosophy of the World by The Shags, Asshole by Gene Simmons, Total Zanarchy by Little Zan, Paula by Robin Thicke, Bad Blood by Blood on the Dance Floor, Methods of Mayhem by Methods of Mayhem, The Concerto in True Minor by The True Symphonic Orchestra, Double Wide by Uncle Cracker, Crazy Frog presents Crazy Hits. Number two. I still feel weird that this is number two. I'm not a fan, but the kids like it by Broken Side. And at number one, surely never to be topped. Surely never to be topped. My Teenage Dream Ended by Farah Abraham. I don't know if you saw this recently, Renfrey, but um, the needle drop, Anthony Fantano, Mm. the, uh, the esteemed music blogger, did a video talking about how much he genuinely like that album it was his 50th favorite out was it it's his 100th or his 50th i think it was his 50th favorite album of the decade when he came to rank his favorite albums of the decade and i think he was slightly off the mark in that respect to very be much honest. so um he I, said a lot of the things that we said that we debunked in our episode were reasons why he liked it and i was like you've you've missed the point here mate i'm afraid right anyway you ever heard that album tom I have heard precisely one of those um, particular top 20, uh, which predictably is the Six Feet Six Under record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah. Good, which good is, that, innit? Uh, yeah, oh, God. I mean, they are. <laughs> they they really annoyed me, that band, because they were always the the 
the kind of the exception to the rule that eventually every band, no matter how good, how shit, will accidentally have a good record, because um, uh, they 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 hadn't, and then they did <laughs> like one that was competent and one that was genuinely good, and I was really furious. And then they completely stacked it by the next album being just appalling. They are just the pits. He's, he's a, a character as well. He's a character, and he Chris Barnes. He's a character. Hates everything that isn't really old death metal. I mean, what kind of. <laughs> kind of life is that anyway i also should say unranked because we didn't know where the fuck to put it you've heard this one tom chinese democracy by guns and roses oh god what a mess like unranked do not know what the fuck where or where we should have put that so we always give it a little shout out as the only unranked record but we spent in... almost three hours talking about that tom it was ridiculous right yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and we, and we still couldn't come to a conclusion as to where the hell to put it so i mean to be fair an album that took that long to make probably needs three hours <laughs> yeah exactly it really fucking did I mean, it really did. I mean, you know, the episode's available if you haven't heard it, everyone. Anyway, but hey, here we go. Iron Maiden. We're going to put Iron Maiden into the list of the worst albums ever. Going to upset a few people here, aren't we? People no. love... People <laughs> love... Nah, people love Iron Maiden. Yeah, people but love the, Iron... No one loves Virtual Eleven. Not, not many people love this album. <laughs> Very few. That, that's probably true. But, I mean, trust me, lads. We are still going to upset some Iron Maiden fans because for me, Iron Maiden, a decent band from the eighties. Sometimes, I guess um, <laughs> they got rid of their best vocalist, Paul Diano. Obviously, back in the early days of the band, when they were good, they got when they got some other geezer in, even though he's not as good. And then that guy left, and they got someone even worse in, which is basically the kind of the preamble to what we're going to talk about here. Thoughts on that, chaps? My opening little statement there. I, I, I. Tom, uh, over to you because I, I I'm so fed up of trying to um, defend <laughs> this band, frankly. So I need some help and I need some backup. Tom, your thoughts? I mean, to, well, to an extent, I'm going to say that I'm I've long since got over Steve's attempt to bait me with his hate of Iron Maiden <laughs> because I've also seen Steve have a lovely time watching Iron Maiden. So I know he doesn't oh, hate yeah. them anywhere yeah, near yeah. as much as he he pretends to. He just. <laughs> I it's, don't even pretend. No, actually, I do pretend to. Yeah, do, look, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Go on. I, I mean, Iron Maiden have, if you look at like their the list of their good songs, right? They've probably done more brilliant songs than any other heavy metal band. Maybe Black Sabbath, but probably not, um, just because Black Sabbath's career is so strange. Maiden have actually had a fairly solid career with some bumps in the road. Are we? Um, are we? Are we counting Snot as a heavy metal band? Yeah. I've been trolled no. by you before, Steve. It's not going to work anymore. I'm just asking. If we are, I'd say they've got as many, about as many as snot, I would say. Oh, well, yeah, but that's, that's all a matter of personal taste, isn't it? I think if, for people who like this kind of new wave of British heavy metal stuff, I suppose, I suppose really they can't really count because they're a bit too late to be the Wobum. They're a bit, bit after that. But I think if you look at kind of the, the people who like that kind of thing, which is not mm. Steve, I think most mm. Most people would agree they have a lot of really great songs. Even people who don't really like Maiden, they kind of dip their toe in for the good bits and then leave when it doesn't go quite so well. I think even they would say, actually, if you, they do a greatest hit set list, it's brilliant. And they're one of the very few bands who can do a Through the Eras tour for loads and loads of different eras, and they will still have loads of people turning up wanting to hear those songs, Yeah, which is absolutely. kind of the acid test, right? It's do, Does anyone who likes you turn up when you play those songs? Like if they're not going to get Hallowed Be Thy Name and The Trooper, are they still going to show? And they do, for loads of the eras. Yeah. Mm. 
That's true. That's uh, absolutely yeah, that is true. There is a is a, pa- a pathetic Pavlovian reaction that uh, <laughs> that these nerds have to this band. Yeah, you're 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 spot on there. I will say just to pick up on one point that you said there, Tom. I would say generally, I'm not a massive Nawabum fan. Really, uh, new wave of British heavy metal. Just uh, for those who aren't fans of acronyms, um, I, I, I I can take or leave it. But um, but but Maiden, I am a big fan of generally. Um, uh, not this record, to be super clear. Um, but uh, I, you know, I, I do still love Maiden. So um, even if you don't love the Norwegian stuff, there are still some people who who find this band yeah. in particular like people who like heavy metal capital H, capital M, maybe is, a per- is perhaps a better expression. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously this is the least celebrated era of Iron Maiden, isn't it? Definitely. And we will get into, like, this being undoubtedly the least celebrated era of Iron Maiden. And I think we can kind of count just prior to Blaze Bailey joining the band. Oh, you, you can, can almost definitely count. that, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if we if we just include Blaze Bailey, I think that might be up for debate. I think the it, it's essentially not the era without Bruce. It's the era without Adrian Smith. Like, Maiden without Bruce could have survived. Maiden without Adrian Smith... Did, did, they had like one half acceptable album and like three good songs elsewhere. Like the era without Adrian Smith was creatively really weak, and like he's a Steve Harris is the driving force of the band. There's no denying that. But Adrian Smith adds something to them that takes them from being a very good band to being a fucking incredible one. Who have written some of my favourite songs ever. And I think the era without him, which is uh, No Prayer for the Dying, Fear of the Dark the x factor and this is is not good the other way you can sum it up very very succinctly is just to say the 90s the 90s for maiden was just not good you know from what do you know what the if if i was to kind of think of all the diehard maiden fans i've spoken to about this era do you know how they would describe it it's not the 90s go on Yannick Gers. Oh yes, 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 <laughs> yes. There yes, is a school of yes. Maiden fans for whom Yannick Gers is basically Kryptonite there and really Kryptonite is. covered in shit. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, not, I don't mind him that much. I, every time I've seen Iron Maiden live, I've loved watching Yannick because he's great fun on stage and he can clearly play. Yeah. It's just it's that there is the people who loved is him that... before he joined reacted really badly to everything that came out when he did. He sort of reminds me of Bez with a mullet, uh, Yannick Gers. He doesn't actually do anything in the band, does he? He does. He's sort of... He's he sort is of one guitar. of the guitarists. Wow. He does, does play he guitar. Does he play yes. guitar? Yes, he does. He throws he? his guitar up in the air a lot as well. Yeah, he throws his guitar up in the air. He's got a, he's got, he's got an Andy Fletcher from Depeche Mode kind of vibe to him. You sort of look at him and you go, mate, you should be paying for a fucking ticket. You should, mate. All you do is throw your guitar around wangle his cord about and then eddie comes on he sort of points his guitar at eddie mm. and you're like you're a fucking you're fucking stealing a living mate you're sti- fucking stealing a living he's still more important to the band than lars who just <laughs> needs to sit down and play the drums and practice occasionally i mean you're facetiously saying that yeah obviously. i think no. you're being slightly facetious yeah. there, not, written, not that much or or yeah, you take the, you take the drummer out of Metallica, or you take a man pointing a guitar Genuinely, at if a you took big the, monster. If you took the guitar, the drummer out of Metallica, they would sound better live. 
<laughs> you take Lars uh, Ulrich out of Metallica though, and Metallica doesn't exist. <laughs> well, I know, yeah. but that's that's I know that's but that's a business yeah. thing, isn't it? That's sure, not really sure, a creative sure. thing. Yeah. Okay. If you took Lars, I mean, we're getting off topic a little bit. If you took, yeah, yeah. if you if you play, if you had Rob. James and Kirk playing, and they played "Sad but True," and you didn't get dun da 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 dun dun da da. You would go, yeah, but you can have a drum machine. You can't. You, you could have a drum <laughs> machine, have a drum and machine. it would be better. Yeah, yeah. they'd be like Carter USM. Um, anyway, listen, we all sort of know the reasons. I guess if you're listening, people interested in this will sort of know the reasons why Bruce Dickinson left Iron Maiden. But I mean, sort of, I guess. I guess I don't really ever feel like I fully understood the reasons for Bruce Dickinson really leaving Iron Maiden. I don't know why he would have done that. Usually, when you see a band leave, like you take, say, for example, like Rob Halford left Judas Priest, and he went and did Fight, he went and did Two, he went and did like a bunch of other stuff, and it was very, very different. Very different from Priest. what Judas Priest was. Whereas we did a Rioters review a couple of months ago on Chemical Wedding by Bruce Dickinson, didn't we, Renfrey? We did. <laughs> oh, God. And we <laughs> yes, were like, we and we were like, it's not really stylistically a massive change. So I always found no. him leaving Iron Maiden, you know, quite kind of a bit weird, really. Like, I didn't really understand what, I mean, obviously it was something personal, but it's weird, right? That is weird that he left in the first place, surely. Certainly an unusual thing to do. I have actually read his um, autobiography, so I'm sure he goes into it there. But to be honest, it was such a boring read. I can't remember much of it. Um, <laughs> so, but... Um, you got I, a lot of needless to say, I had the last laugh in it. Is there it there is quite a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think... Um, I mean, certainly, if you listen to the live recordings from the beginning of the 90s, you've got, like, A Real Life Dead One and Live at Donington. I think Live at Donington in particular, because I think A Real Life Dead One takes from lots of different shows. I'm not sure off the top of my head. But Live at Donington, which was recorded in 1992 at Monsters of Rock. I mean, God, there's so many points on that record where, like, Bruce's voice is cracking and it's a real... It's kind of, I mean, a fair play to a band as big as Maiden for releasing a live album where they I'm assuming didn't do any like studio trickery before it was released because so much of that record sounds so poor um and 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 a lot of it comes from Bruce and his voice like cracking and stuff but then you know that still doesn't explain why he would then go on to do uh, a different project where he's doing similar kind of stuff you know and it's not like he took all that much time out I think he went straight back into it so I don't know. I guess. I guess. I guess. Really, reading between the lines, probably egos flaring or just getting fed up of the um, constant touring machine. I mean, Maiden in the eighties worked so hard. Um, maybe he just wanted to take a step back. Although he did end up doing, God, he did like four or five solo albums at did least, didn't he? So, yeah, yeah, we spoke as as discussed. I don't know. Any theories, Tom? I've never kind of got a, a vaguely decent answer. I, I, I've kind of there's been some uh, he said she said about you know how things were in the band, and there's there's just the kind of whiff that you know, maybe we've been kind of stuck in a tour bus for fifteen years, and we're now starting to well ten years, and we're now starting to kind of you know how when you've been stuck with someone for a long time they can become annoying even if you actually quite like them. Yeah, maybe they were just kind of feeling that about. <laughs> Not pointing fingers at anyone. Um, you, that was that was your laugh, not mine. Um, I, 
maybe it was just a case of we kind of need a bit of time apart. It could be something as simple as that. It probably is. I mean, when it comes to Maiden and the kind of, um, you know, the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, it often isn't that, that interesting. I think that's why they dress it all up. I think that's why they brought Eddie on in the first place, you know, because they're not the most, individually, they're not the most interesting band kind of thing. And I don't I don't think there is... Motley Crue, they are not. No, exactly, exactly. They're just like... I mean, there's finally found a band that are even more objectionable. There's not many times <laughs> I'd go, yeah, but be, if, if you can be I'm be Iron Maiden over being <laughs> Motley Crue, definitely, yeah. yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, as well, like, obviously I wasn't invested in this band at all when Bruce Dickinson left. I don't really remember it happening. I didn't have any kind of interest in Iron Maiden back then. Um, but you have to think, with the alternative rock boom, which killed so many of these bands, so many, Thrash, Glam, New Album, all the kind of old school stuff, you would think, it seems like now you look back and you think, well, obviously that is going to fuck you up. But then... It didn't fuck Sabbath up, and it didn't when Ronnie James Dio came in. It didn't fuck ACDC up when Brian Johnson came in. Like, there is a way of sort of traversing that massive career dip when your iconic singer leaves. That That is possible to do, isn't it? It's very hard. Yeah, it's it's it happens less often mm. um, that way. Uh, and I think Maiden getting in blaze bailey i mean again like i don't really know much about blaze bailey or wolfsbane particularly either of you two kind of got anything to say about pre-maiden blaze bailey at all i don't think blaze bailey's got too much to say about pre-maiden blaze bailey does he (laughs) well uh, he's he is an odd recruit right because you mentioned a, a really good example of how to do it is ronnie james dio who by that stage was kind of well known as being a, a brilliant singer. Not just a good one, but a brilliant yeah. one. And then mm. he joins Sabbath and he does his solo stuff as well. And he kind of cements himself as arguably the greatest metal singer of all time, in just in terms of the high pitch stuff anyway. And like getting him in is it's an upgrade. No disrespect to Ozzy, but Ozzy in his in his prime was amazing. But in a, t- in a singer technical, in a years, technical yeah. sense, yes, yeah. it's absolutely an upgrade. Yeah, whether you and, prefer Aussie or not, you know. And it gives you a completely different avenue, right? Because they can say, "Well, right, we can write a completely different style of songs and adapt what we do to his voice." Yeah. And because you know, Geezer and Tony are geniuses, they could do that, right? Maiden kind of wanted to do the same thing, but without Bruce, which was. Like if they need wanted to do that, Blaze Bailey was not the singer because he is arguably, again, technically he's probably a better singer than Bruce. Certainly in terms of power, but in terms is of he? well, in terms of hitting the right notes and being able to sustain it, like in terms of just actually being able to do the kind of the octave, uh, do the scale and do it right. Yes, in terms of performance, there isn't one. I mean, it is it's very mechanical. It is it is like a really well programmed drum machine, but not a very expensive one, right? It's like it will pl- it will play all the beats at the right times, and and it will sound kind of vaguely okay. But it's it's kind of rubbish. It's kind of flat, and it's lifeless, and there's no personality. And that's that's unfortunately Blaze Bailey in that he he sings the songs and he hits the notes, and there is nothing remotely emotional behind it. 
that's or at least nothing coming out. It just sounds like someone is perform is like doing a session musician job, and they don't really do you, care. Do you agree with that, Renfrey? Technically better than Bruce Dickinson plays Bailey. I understand. I hadn't really thought of it before, but I, but he, you know, he. Well, as we'll go into, he fucking struggled to do these songs, didn't he? He can really struggle to do them. Yes, um, I understand. But they're too low for him. Under- too high for him, sorry. Too high for him, yeah. I understand where Tom's coming from, from the point of view of um, the power behind Blaze's voice. Because there is, you know, he know, he does know how to use his lungs, um, you know, to, for during singing and all that sort of stuff. And he does have a very strong foundation from his gut, I think. But um, I feel like he maybe has less range than Bruce. Fair. I don't. I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. I, I mean, I probably wouldn't have said that beforehand, but I but I understand where you're coming from. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if 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 he'd be considered a technically better singer or not. One thing that one, the thing that bugged me about Blaze Bailey, was there was there's a level with cheese. Uh, there's a level of cheese with Maiden, which yes. I think they have a, I think they balance the cheese mainly remarkably well but blaze bailey really upped the cheese factor um to a point where it really became just too much camembert and the po-faced earnestness there's a there's an earnest like everything's really serious and everything's very like whoa i mean it's interesting to talk to you about this tom because obviously as you know neither me nor steve are power metal fans but then Mm. but but blaze bailey brings more of a power metal element to it i'm not suggesting he's a good power metal singer or all power metal singers sound like blaze bailey at all but there is it is that factor of blaze bailey which i personally didn't like and it does Uh, it doesn't fit maiden either like i see where you come from like he's got way more in common with joachim from sabaton than he does with you know um tony with a tony i mean with ozzy osborne yeah 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 Right, Absolutely. there's way more in that direction, and that doesn't really work with Maiden. Like Maiden is more, you've got you. It's almost more being an actor than it is being a singer. You've got to kind of play a character for a few minutes, and then change character very quickly, and you've got. It's more kind of embracing the fun and this kind of kind of actually quite childlike and impish thing. That is, it's why Iron Maiden are a band that works for kind of a very very broad age range age range so you have people who fall in love with it when they're nine and still love it when they're 60 right and there are people like that out there because of that it's it the the reason that happens rather is because you've got this really kind of childlike and carefree and imaginative quality and it is kind of like escaping into a story for six to ten minutes and then they move on to another one and it's it's n- none of it's too weighty. It's it yeah. is a fan. It is a playful fantasy, and then Blaze Bailey comes along, and it's really serious business. Yeah. And it's that's not Maiden. It's too heavy. Ma- Maiden, and, and this might sound like a, a, a you know a criticism, but Maiden is heavy metal pantomime, really. But the pantomime part, you need to have. You can't be too serious with it, otherwise, it all kind of falls apart. It's kind of a heavy metal horrible histories, really. <laughs> that's actually, that's Are you lot that. mad saying they're not serious? Of course they're fucking... Oh, I don't know what you're on about. They're the most po-faced fucking always. This is the thing that I don't like about them, is it? I'm just listening. I mean, I always think they're incredible. They're always talking. Every interview you see Bruce Dickens or Steve Harris, 
they're worthy and going about how brilliant they are. Like, I, I don't feel like that ain't my problem with this album at all. To be perfectly clear, I don't think this is any more ridiculous or po-faced or OTT than anything apart from apart from the first album and Killers. But I don't, I don't find that at all. And we're getting into the album before we even did the story, really. But like, yeah. Well, Bruce Dickinson will often say in interviews, you know, that like, oh, Maiden are the best heavy metal band on the planet or whatever like that. But even that, I think, is like ever so slightly tongue in cheek and it's baity. And I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't think obviously Maiden take themselves seriously to an extent because it's a massive once you get to that size, you have to have an element of taking yourself seriously. But I think in the creativity and the, the the songs and the performance and the show i yeah i mean heavy metal pantomime heavy metal horrible histories which i really like like i i kind of think it is more that avenue personally i don't think it is i don't think they do take themselves that seriously i think the i think the seriousness it comes in when you get into the how do they deal with their relationship with the fans because i think that there are a lot of people for whom iron maiden are the band right yeah and if you've ever been down the front at an iron maiden show i mean i say down the front i don't mean you have to be on the barrier but if you're in the first 30 rows right yeah, yeah, yeah. the like the people are more into it than almost anything else you can ever think of like mm-hmm. it's like um the only other things that i can use as equivalent are shows where there's kind of body everywhere so converge is that kind of level of of fervor but it's just kind of all directed in front of them rather than kind of limbs going everywhere and moshing yeah um and i think the you know the the way people react emotionally when they see maiden and i'm certainly guilty of this like i have been on the verge of tears watching iron maiden a number of times i think i saw it was the final frontier tour they play and they play anything from the last fucking three albums yeah but you know steve's used to you know being reduced to tears by you know hairy men um that's (laughs) so i hear what are you insinuating, Tom? I'm not. Ins- well, I'm insinuating that he's used to going to gigs and getting very cross at people who he doesn't really like. I see. Okay. What else? What could I possibly else have been meaning? Well, I'm looking at Renfrey and I'm thinking, are you talking about him? <laughs> no, no. And and you as well. Anyway, go on. Continue. Continue. I have. I have. I saw them on the Final Frontier tour in 2011. I want to say, and I was kind of. I was sort of semi-working there. I wasn't reviewing. I was, I was doing something with another on the sport bands. And I kind of. I remember there were two or three songs where I just went. That I wasn't expecting. I think it was uh, Isle of Avalon, Where the Wild Wind Blows, and always Hallowed Be the Name. I'm always at the start of Hallowed Be the Name. I always get a bit weepy. And you do go to maiden shows and you see people in floods of tears because they are so overcome with joy that they just can't deal with it any other way than kind of it's it's almost too much. And the if you've got that kind of relationship with your fans and your fans are that invested in you and they really are frightened maiden, you've got to take it quite seriously and you've got to go, Well, hang on, if we kind of if we're being shit, that's that guy's year ruined. We can't. We've got to take this quite seriously. Because people take us seriously, whether we want them to or not. So that's, I think, that's where the kind of the seriousness comes in with Iron Maiden. It's not that they are kind of sitting there going, that's "We are deadly point. serious about this song about you know science fiction." Yeah, mm. that's a fair point. Well, anyway, we've sort of traversed this slightly, but it's good. 
Um, but what we, we should hear from Blaze Bailey and his thoughts on when he got the job at Iron Maiden. He's spoken a bunch of times, obviously, in the aftermath of this. It's quite funny the way, Tom, you said that has even Blaze Bailey got anything to say about Blaze Bailey career <laughs> from prior to this? Because there are no interviews with him at all. And then he's in Iron Maiden. And then there's just like loads of people going, you, you gutted, mate, are you? You gutted that you got kicked out of that band. And he's like, yeah, I am a bit gutted. Yeah, yeah. So that seems to be like his career now is going, oh, what? what? I don't know what happened. Like that's his, he seems to make a living out of going, oh, I did this. And then, oh, they kicked me out. Well, bloody hell. So anyway, he's a few years how, ago. You kind of wonder how Maiden found him in that case, you know? It's like bizarre. I don't know. But... Well, apparently Wolf Blame played some gigs with Maiden and Steve Harris liked his voice. Oh, okay. There was actually an interview with Bruce Dickinson, where Bruce Dickinson said, I met Blaze Bailey when I was in Maiden. I thought he was a really nice guy, but I was really surprised when they hired him because basically I was like, how's he going to sing my songs? Yeah. Like, how's he going to hit? He's nothing like me at all. How is he going to sing those songs? And he was like, it's not an insult because he's just got a really different voice. It's just different. And yeah, yeah, yeah. just completely different. different. Um, but Blaze said, Iron Maiden was just a dream job. Doing tours that lasted nine months a year, doing albums with no compromise musically, doing the lyrics and the music we wanted. The record company couldn't be involved. No one could tell you what to do. It was all about what the band were doing themselves and their own ideas. So it was fantastic, really. It was just a brilliant opportunity. And there was no music written before I joined Iron Maiden. So the X Factor, my first album was written with Steve Harris, Yannick Gers, Dave Murray and Nick McBrain and we worked on all the music together and so it was a real collaboration I think five or six of my ideas are part of that first album and it worked absolutely great now I haven't listened to The X Factor um, in full maybe ever I'm going to fess up um, so I don't really know I listened to a bit of it for, for sort of research for this and there was a few songs that I remember but lads um, you're both bigger Iron Maiden fans than me thoughts on The X Factor um, it's like this, but nowhere near as bad. There are two genuinely good songs on it, which kind of saves it. Sign of the Cross? Sign of the Cross, yes, definitely, and Man on the Edge. Yes, agreed, agreed. Those, like, whatever else you can say about that album, and there are many bad things that you could say about it, and I would completely agree with you, those two songs are good, and when Bruce has done them, they've sounded great. Yeah. So, I like Man on the Edge. By the, just for, for, by the way, I actually was surprised at how much I like Man on the Edge. I thought it was really good. I really, I like. It's such a typical Blaze Bailey vocal melody, and we'll get onto that later. You know, falling down, falling down. But yeah, there's something about that song. So I, I do think it's kind of, it's not a great record, but it's fine. I will say, I have a thing that there is an interesting thing that we've we'll come on to that i don't think either of these two are the fans least favorite maiden record ah. and if you so if you talk to people in metal say which is the worst i made now virtual 11 is always going to be the answer if you talk to mm. iron maiden fans it's no prayer for the dying i would expect dom lawson will we'll be getting on to dom lawson's uh thoughts who is the kind of the big iron maiden fan yeah. in rock media in the uk at least i would say the probably knows uh, more about time. iron maiden than steve harris does at this point. <laughs> no, i thought you say so knows more about iron maiden than steve i was like well <laughs> quite a few it's people not could... <laughs> it's not yeah. very difficult yeah <laughs> that's not difficult at all i think the x factor is probably my favorite 90s iron maiden album but that's not saying an awful lot that's a very hot take <laughs> it is it is quite a hot take i do realize that um i think weirdly it doesn't sound like a maiden album because they went for this kind of darker 
sound you've got all like the you know the monks chanting and stuff beginning the record and it, it like there there's an argument to say i was about to i was about to say there's an argument to say that the x factor is the heaviest iron maiden record and maybe i don't mean the heaviest maybe i mean the darkest and i i think simply i think the reason why it's my favorite of the 90 favorite maiden 90s album and let me be very clear i don't think it's a very good album i don't really like it's between fear of the dark and it's yeah, fear of the dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's so far fear of the dark. But don't get me wrong, fear of the dark is not in the top ten. Ma- I mean, fear of the dark is not. You know, like, but obviously... it's got at least three or four good songs. Yeah, be quick or be dead. Afraid to shoot strangers. Title the title track. track. The title track is live. It's is always it's basically the best yeah, song in the yeah, set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, true, true. But I think I think because maybe because they were trying something a little bit different and it's a little bit darker and stuff um okay fair enough i mean yeah to be clear i i i think it's like a a five out of ten album at best <laughs> you know well it got it got a very lukewarm response the collector's guide to heavy metal gave it two out of ten which spoiler is a better score than they gave this album oh. that we're going to be talking about virtual 11 uh reach number be? eight um yeah reached number eight on the uk album chart uh which is you know decent enough 1995 was it um it was you know, yeah. post post grunge and alternative rock and all that kind of stuff happening and post pantera particularly pantera yeah, and, kind of changed the face of, of heavy metal enough mm-hmm. to clear the Definitely. landscape away from this i think you can see that in like so the artwork for maiden yeah you had you know eddie and he was always zombified and stuff but it was always cartoony and with the x factor they went for a far more i don't know if it's cgi i don't know if it's a model i don't know what it is but it is actually something that genuinely looks it looks eddie looks more real it's, like, it's less cartoony. It looks, like a, it looks like a megadeth album cover i it think does. <laughs> yeah. it does yeah yeah which isn't yeah. which isn't maiden that's not i mean hmm. it works better for that record i guess but they certainly did have a bit of an identity crisis um i mean i'd say from the beginning of the 90s to be honest with you but but even it's probably the x factor is probably the album where they have the biggest identity crisis with who they actually are although actually there's a fair amount of identity crisis on this as well Mm, i'm mm, yeah go on it's i think into if you talk about the musical aesthetics yes so Uh say oh it's darker yes it's heavier yes yeah the production is grimmer yes the you know the the images yes i think that the kind of the song progression no prayer for the dying is this weird little blip that doesn't fit but i Mm. think if you can there is a fairly linear progression that's happened throughout maiden's career right up to like the last two albums arguably which kind of starts somewhere around somewhere in time and is maybe a little bit before, but it's by the time you get to um, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, you can see exactly where they're going and they kind of carry it on through. There is a lot of stuff on here where I'm going, well, that kind of, that fits in absolutely with what Maiden have done both before and since. They've just not done it very well. Yeah, certainly. The, Steve Harris was certainly play, playing a lot of... Um two notes on the bass with a nice chorus effect on it i mean he really really liked seemed to like that sound a lot around this period of maiden yeah um, although actually that went into brave new world which is which just happens to be my favorite maiden record so you know very good record yeah very good record right steve <laughs> um 
if you like. Uh, it reached number 147, the X Factor list is. Number 147 in the US Billboard 200, so like a bit more of a drop in the US, I think. Uh, but it did go top 10 in Sweden, Norway, Belgium, and Finland. In fact, Man on the Edge was a number one hit single in, in Finland, the mad cunts that they have over there. It fucking actually got Iron Maiden with Blaze Bailey to the top of the charts in Finland. Didn't Chinese democracy also get to number one in Finland, though? I seem to remember that was like the only country it reached number one in. No, Chinese democracy, the first week it was like, boom, in. Oh, okay. And then just just was like, see ya, bye. But you know, Finland Finland is like the metal capital of the world. Yeah, yeah, they they love it. Um, uh, I think, like, reading up on it, the X Factor is sort of considered a sort of transitional album. I think feeds into what you're saying a little bit obviously it's their first without bruce for a long time um steve harris was going through a divorce at the time apparently quite a messy divorce um and from what my research of this has been it's somewhat forgiven that the x factor was not them at their best due to sort of circumstances beyond their control and it's sort of amongst the fan base you mean yeah amongst the fan base i I would say that's true i don't know if you're if you feel the same tom but like i like and as far as maiden's failures go the x factor is like one of my favorites of their failures that sounds like a weird thing to say but you do know a little bit i kind of get it I, i think it's I think Maiden fans in general will forgive Iron Maiden virtually anything which is, <laughs> wouldn't land one of them prison sentence. But, you know, in fact, I think they have forgiven something which did land one of them prison sentence. But that's you know, old news. Um, I don't know. I think the X Factor is just the kind of thing that you kind of politely forget. It's like that, um, you know, that phase that some people have in their life where they kind of they dress like they're trying to get get into a crowd that isn't part of them and do their hair in a way that they regret and, and try and delete all pictures of. And the family just politely agrees, we well, yeah, we won't talk about that. Um, it's been my entire life, but yeah, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you know the thing though—the thing that some people have when they're like nineteen, twenty, when they try and be someone they're not, and by the time they're twenty-five, they're desperately hoping that everyone forgets that they did. Yeah. They have that like eighteen-month period where they hung out with a bunch of people that they really shouldn't have. I think that's. Yeah, I, I, I was really into steampunk for eighteen months. Oh God, look at me now! Don't be knocking goggles. steampunk. Steampunk. I'm not knocking. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that some people would be like. Oh God, I was wearing goggles and stuff, and I hope, and then they feel a bit about. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I yeah, what you're saying. yeah. I was just giving. I was giving that. I was giving that character, Tom. Gotcha. I wasn't slagging. I'm not slagging off steampunk, by the way. Um, so apparently, this Probably. album is more upbeat than the X Factor, um, and also the X Factor, which happened after the X Factor, was a fairly torturous one by all accounts. Torturous Mainly, torturous one. X Factor. Was a torturous one tour. I'm leaving. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Too many puns for you, mate. There's too many puns. Um, What's the same pun over and over again? That's the issue. Too many, the same pun over and over again. Too many times. Yeah. But mainly it's because of Blaze Blaze Bailey, who had never had to tour with such um, intensive and exhausting a schedule. Um, Singing songs that he didn't write that were not really written for him. And as we've already sort of hinted at, weren't particularly suitable for him and his voice meaning that they actually cancelled a fair few tours due to um or a fair few shows on the tour due to blaze bailey's um vocal troubles which we will be coming back to Mm. again in a little bit um but by all accounts maiden were in a much more positive place as a band as 
they went into the recording of the album. Uh, Blaze Bailey was interviewed saying, it's definitely a progression. With the X Factor, we took a long time to record it and it was quite a long album with a lot of songs. I think there was a lot of expectation attached to that. We were learning how to work together and all of that as well. We hadn't toured. I hadn't done a gig with Maiden. Now, coming back to the studio, there's a lot of confidence in the band. Everybody feels really positive. There's a lot of creative energy. This album feels more positive. Which is nice that they feel... Well, I'm glad they had a good time. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who listened to the album did, but... You know. <laughs> I mean... Uh, it's it. I mean, look, it's certainly a, a, a brighter, let's say, <laughs> album than the X Factor. You know, um, mm. doesn't make it better, but it, it but yeah. it, but it is uh, lighter, I suppose. Um, it's uh, it's about twenty minutes shorter, which is one of the few always things better it has going for it over the X Factor. Because I mean, definitely one of the issues with the X Factor is it's too long. Um, and basically, most maiden maiden albums since really yeah. fall into the same. I, I mean, I, I I absolutely agree with that. I I do, I do think most of them are too long. Um, this one's, I mean, normally uh, a fifty-three minute Iron Maiden album, I'd be totally happy with, but um, not in this particular case. I would say. Yeah, uh, one of the things that I found about the recording as well is apparently a lot of the vocals you hear on the album, and I'm amazed by this, but. I do believe it, uh, were recorded in the rehearsals for the album. They took the rehearsal recordings and put them on the album. Blaze Bailey said, what I was trying to do is get a bit better than that. But the early versions had such a good vibe, which is what we always look for in the recording. So they used a load of the rehearsal takes for the songs are what you hear on the album, which... It's weird because when I listen to the album, I go, oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> because I listen to you. It sounds phoned in. It sounds like someone who's marking, right? Like, you know how singers mark when they're... they're yeah, yeah. They're just trying to... They're not trying to blow their voice out. They're just trying to hit the notes. And those of it sounds a bit like that. Okay, sometimes he really lets rip. But there are times when I go... But he he sounds like he's, like, only in second gear. And he's he needs to be singing... He needs to be in sixth. Yeah. So you you kind of go well. I can hear that, but I am amazed that they let that on the out. I'm absolutely blown away that they would consider that a good idea. That is a mad idea. Absolutely mad. It's what happens when no one tells you no. They exactly. T- and what he genuinely. said, you know, it's great being an I made, and no one ever told us that we couldn't do every single fucking stupid thing that we wanted to do. And there's more of this coming in a little bit, by the way. But uh, okay. yeah, like what the fuck, man? There's lots of um, examples of bands recording a demo for a song and then trying to re-record it in the studio and going, well, you know what, that demo take it just had something special about it, and we, you know, uh, we just couldn't make it better, so we we made it that version. But it's rare that it's like. That's usually for a recording of an entire song, not just like one person's performance, I think. Um, and it's usually only like one song on a record, you know, um, but the, that's quite it's usually the one thing. that's written at the last minute, right? It's the yeah. one that they wrote at the last minute and they went, actually, that's the best song on the album. Let's do it and just did it in one take. Yeah. Or, yeah. to, or they might have done the drums twice, but yeah. otherwise it's one take. Sometimes this, mm. come, this stuff just comes to you and you need to just get it on tape. But I think with I think it's rarely the case when it comes to metal i mean paranoid is one of one of the examples i'm pretty sure they said they wrote that in about 20 minutes or something like that yeah isn't snuff by slipknot a kind of similar thing where he just brought it to them and it was almost complete and they went yeah and it was just 
Joe Jordison did a bit of drums, and that was all that got changed. Yeah, possibly. Although I had like a, had like a hole. Um, apparently, he wrote in like oh, right. uh, like on a tour bus in about fifteen minutes. I can see, and that. then just did the sort of like flood did it with him in like a couple of days or whatever. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, it's weird. It's just really weird. Also, what is weird for this album is the marketing campaign for the record. Now, as we've already said, it's Maiden's eleventh album. It's called Virtual Eleven. Um, there's a weird thing that was happening where it was a world cup year and oh, also yeah. and also they were doing this they were going to have a computer game out so to get to the football bit first so it was world cup 98 um and steve harris said it's world cup year in 98 let's get the football involved in the new album we were already working on a computer game at that time as well so we thought well let's bring that element into things too i don't know what those two things really have to do with each other. I don't know what they have to do with the album. Like, it's weird. They kind of mock themselves up as a team. I've actually got my copy of Kerrang! Uh, from the 21st of February 1998, which has the team, the Iron Maiden Virtual Eleven team, in a little thing, a uh, little news story. Um, it's, 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 it's in the album as well. I, like, I'm, I mean, unfortunately, I own this album on CD because I'm a completist. Mm-hmm. And um, it, like, there's photos of them like in kit. Yes, I've got the photo in, in front of me place. now. Uh, Iron Maiden have listed the services of football stars worth an estimated twenty-eight million pounds. I'm going to come to you for the uh, the estimation of the the players um, in a minute, Tom, if you don't mind, because you're you know about football as well. Um, Particularly 1998 football, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, no West Ham players. They, they even said that in the Kerrang thing. But it says uh, Maiden plan to launch the album by playing a series of football matches throughout Europe next month. They'll be playing against teams made up of musicians and ex-players based in the cities where the matches are due to take place. Maiden themselves have a squad of 15 players on the road with them. Will include a number of former England internationals. I don't remember this. Did this happen? Did this actually happen? That sounds like Steve Harris just filling his fantasies right. Because he, he was a good youth yeah. footballer and nearly ended yeah, up yeah. playing West Ham in, the kind of, in, in a kind of golden generation. But he didn't quite make the cut. Mm. And... and has long since like clearly wanted to be a footballer as well because he's always there's always like maiden replica kits which are basically the West Ham kit that year yeah and there's always yeah. um like shots of him on tour anytime they've done a tour DVD or something or they've done a, a documentary or whatever there's always shots of Steve Harris playing football and he's, yeah, you know, he loves he's, it. he loves it and he's got he's he got the it. West Ham branded base and things yeah 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 but i'm gonna uh, talk to you with this the rest so so the picture is it's the five members of iron maiden and six other footballers now you can kind of work out where the other members of iron maiden play it looks like nicker mcbrain's in goal he's got a goalkeeper's uh, shirt on so they've got marco this is 1998 by the way so they've got mark Overmars, arsenal good, very Holland, good player yeah so, yeah who's worth 4.1 million <laughs> that's still i mean well, back in the day, yeah, I mean, even in that era, eight, that was you know, even in the era of Alan Shearer being fifteen Mate, million over four is a steal. Yeah, it gets sillier than that. Uh, Stuart Pearce is worth three point five million. Everyone knows who Stuart Pearce is. Psycho. Paul Gascoigne, Glasgow Rangers in England, three point five million. I mean, I suppose in ninety eight, Gaza was pretty much done, wasn't he? So he probably would. That would be decent value for money. I don't know where they're getting these numbers from. Um, Ian Wright, Arsenal in England, seven point three million. He but was a year scoring later. a lot of goals in nineteen ninety eight. Well, a year later, he goes on a free to West Ham, doesn't he? It was brilliant for West Ham as well. Mm. 
This has turned into a very different podcast. I'm very confused. That's fine. I'm, it's finally something I want to talk about. Um, Faustino Aspria, 6.3 oh. million. Oh, you're 90s football not... nostalgia joy. He was a great player. He was so and much then, fun. He, yeah, he was a great player. Um, but check this out, Tom. The cheapest player on the team, according to what Iron Maiden's calculations are, and this is why you shouldn't, I don't trust their accountant. Mark, um, Patrick Vieira, three point three million for Patrick Vieira what, in nineteen eighty-eight. Player, one of the most gifted technical Patrick players, v- technically and tactically, and yet also an extremely proficient athlete who was like you, six foot two and built like a. You tank. ain't getting, you ain't getting Patrick Vieira for three point three million. I imagine one of the very in few players world? I, I've never seen a player who could play. Stuart in Pierce is like. Stuart Pearce is like 37 and you're paying three and a half million for him. You're going to pay 3.3 million for Patrick Vieira, age 22. You mad fucks. Where did they get out of front? It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Anyway. Is that, is that what Arsenal paid for him? And they were just using that and then it turned out... Arsenal, oh, paid, Arsenal... Two, Arsenal paid two million for him. Oh, fucking hell. I know. What bargain still? signing? I mean, unbelievable. But you're not... He's not leaving. But he's about to win the fucking double yeah. that year. And the World Cup, and the World Cup. Let's not and the World Cup. Yeah, like you're not getting him for three point three million. Where do you get that from? Ridiculous. So anyway, somebody's maths is all over the place there. But it's a funny little team, and you do look at it and I go, okay, so you've got Gascoigne and Vieira in midfield, Overmars on the left, Stuart Pearce playing left back, Ian right up front, and then that leaves like Nico McBrain in goal. I'm just wondering where the other members of Iron Maiden play. So you look, you're looking at Steve Harris was right back. So Steve Harris would be right back, which means you've got Dave Murray and Yannick Gers defending and defending and Blaze Bailey up front with Ian Wright <laughs> shouting freedom. <laughs> I mean, where, what, where, was where, that when he beats the offside track? <laughs> <laughs> are they getting? Are they getting into the Europa League with that team? I'm not sure. I th- think you mean the Intertoto Cup. <laughs> the Intertoto Cup, yeah. There's yeah, a very, niche reference for you. Very fucking niche, but very good. Anyway, it was all very confusing. Also, the game uh, that was announced was going to be they were going to bring a game out in September 1997. Now it became Ed Hunter, but it was originally called. Don't know if you guys knew this. The game, the Iron Maiden's game originally, the, the, it was going to be this computer game, was originally called Melt. <laughs> I didn't know that. No, melt. Um, just Tom melt. looks like he's just memorable. A particularly bad fart. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. Okay. Melt. Why? It was oh, fuck knows. It was called melt, but they scrapped it because Blaze Bailey said, in his own words, he says it was crap. Made them <laughs> want to give their fans something to blow them away. The new one will. Talking about Ed Hunter. <laughs> well, again, not quite sure that. That happened either, Blaze. Um, will it? You know, will it? Will it? Uh, uh, are we talking about Ed Hunter later? Yeah, a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. Um, you like it, don't you? I've never played it. I, I was going to ask Tom if he'd played it, but if we're talking no, about it later, God, no. Okay. Okay. Well, then we probably won't talk about it later. Then. Okay. In that case, really I've seen play. I've seen footage on YouTube, and it looks fucking appalling. It looks so mm. awful, and I remember. Because um, I was a big gamer back then, sort of. Well, when I get time, I still game now, uh, which isn't very often. But I um, was a big gamer back in 1998, and obviously, you know, I was interested in it because it was Maiden. And um, 
yes uh, all of the reviews were absolutely atrocious like so right. I do remember it because I'm a loyal PC gamer for life I do remember the PC gaming magazines kicking it around town yeah. and having an awful lot of fun doing it like yeah, it, it was... you know when critics back when critics were really important yeah. and that you could just kind of hear people forming an orderly queue to get their knives out and say I want to be the one to say awful things about this because it's so bad yeah when they were at, like really scathing as well and yeah. um, I remember PC Zone PC Gamer just totally tearing it apart yeah, yeah. another baffling decision the first single from the album was the nearly 10 minute long The Angel and the Gambler Although a six-minute version was issued on two CD singles, yeah, the six the six-minute version only has forty choruses, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think that's true. Yeah, uh, oh. it was released um, the two weeks before the album on the 9th of March, nineteen ninety-eight. Maiden's manager Rod Smallwood said "Futurial" should have been the the first single. He was convinced, but Steve Harris dug his heels in and said that it should be "The Angel and the, Ga- the Gambler." Now, Renfrey, I have had many a conversation with you. And we have a little running joke on our various podcasts about how fucking clueless you are when it comes to what would be the best single or what should be a single in an album. A man who hears Violator by Depeche Mode and doesn't even notice that Enjoy the Silence is the clear standout lead single from that album and instead goes, oh, what about us? Like the seven minute instrumental song. Surely that was a single, right? No. Yeah. No. Um turns out I even... have different tastes to most people. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> even you must be aware that this is a clueless, mad, idiotic decision. It's 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 terrible idea for a single. It's a t- it's insane. It's insane. Um it is the longest song on the record, isn't it? Um yeah. I mean it's probably it's likely the worst song on the record. I would. Oh argue. no, there's worse. Do you think so? There's worse. Oh, I think, I think there's three worse. worse. Yeah. Okay. I think there's yeah, three worse. Oh yeah. right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I mean, I don't know what it was about this song that Steve Harris had such a hard on for, but um, it is one of the weakest Maiden epics in their entire back catalogue. I would say, and just so damn repetitive. Good God, I never want to hear that chorus ever again. Well, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, Tom, could say, any any defence at all or understanding as to why you would pick this song as a single? As a single? No, 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 no. No, it, absolutely none. It's, it's, it is a classic. Like, I have a thing where I don't necessarily think that um, it's the best idea for people to listen to no one right there's a, obviously you don't want the record company coming in and saying no this great idea you've had we don't want to do that because that might not be commercially successful we want you to do the formula thing you know the, the record co- company who thought you know bohemian rhapsody was too mad no one would get into it and try to stop it right you don't want that but at the same time it is useful to have people who you can re- trust their opinion and kind of bounce ideas off and say am i being mad here because this is a classic case of someone being told no, Steve. No, no, I wouldn't do that. I th- if it was me, I would delete that to use the <laughs> some kind of monster reference. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you need sometimes great artists need someone to say, "I'm not sure that's your best work." Maybe think of something else, right? Mm-hmm. And this was a. There's no. I cannot think what they were thinking because there's nothing, nothing redeeming about it. It's really bad. It's very. Bad. I think I've got only one. I've racked my brains for why they would think this would be a good single and I've only got one one 
thing that I think it could possibly be. And that is Steve Harris saw the success, the massive number one hit single success of No Limits by Two Unlimited. And who just went, no, 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 no. And thought, oh, people like the same thing happening endlessly with absolutely no deviation whatsoever. Uh, oh, well, we'll 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 do that then and release it as a single. Mystery That's songs. surely the only reason, isn't it? That can be surely the only reason is that they tried to copy Two and Limit. There you go, guys. Your gods, your heroes, your favourite band. Speaking of repetitive <laughs> songs, what what song came out this year that is even more repetitive than Two Unlimited's No Limits? Uh, Blue Dubba D, but Dubba Die. Oh right, by yeah. Eiffel sixty five. <laughs> yeah, uh, again. You know, it's the only uh, song that came oh, out that year more repetitive than this. Yeah, God. Could well be. Yeah, could, could well be. be. Um, the song reached number 18 on the UK singles chart. Which is a fucking miracle, isn't it? Well, mate, <laughs> and number miracle. three in Finland, you <laughs> mad cunts. You mad cunts in Finland. Um, the video, I don't know if you've seen the video, chaps. <clears throat> of course I haven't. I watched the video and good lordy lordy lord it is a video of the band playing in a lawnmower man style which we spoke about a few episodes ago lawnmower man style virtual reality venue being controlled by Eddie from a spaceship uh, in this sort of control booth Um, and it's dated the CG is dated pretty fucking badly in fact I tried to think of something anything from this time that had dated worse than the video uh, CG effects on this video. And the only thing I could come up with was the music on this album. Have you seen um, the 90s, classic 90s sci-fi uh, serial Babylon 5? I'm aware of it. Because it, it is basically the same CGI as that. <laughs> I, I have the video up now and I just went, oh yes, that's Babylon 5. The difference is Babylon 5 started in 1992 and this is 1998. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, they go into the spaceship and they have a bit of a laugh with Eddie. They go into a bar, the band. Blaze Bailey gets approached in a bar by a load of sort of aliens and he pulls his skin off. And underneath it is a CG Eddie and all the CG space creatures run away. It's pretty bad. And they sit down and they play cards with the CG Eddie and they beat him. And he gets really angry and just decides to smash the whole place up. And they all get in their spaceship and they escape. Wonderful. (laughs) Really cool. Maiden have never been great at videos, it has to be said. Even classic era Maiden, I don't think they've ever really done videos well to be honest. I don't know if you agree with that, Tom. I think Run to the Hills is kind of as close as they got to being decent. And that was kind of very... I think that was okay for the era. But in terms of the big conceptual stuff, they've never been good, no. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, even thinking of stuff like Number of the Beasts with the ballerina coming on and the... Oh, yeah, that's bad. No, no, no. Oh, my God, yeah. They've never, ever been good at videos, ever. Well, anyway... Then the album came out. We should get to some of the reviews. Now, I said to you, I said to your messenger, Tom, that I had, and I do have somewhere. It's driving me fucking mad. I had the Metal Hammer where they, they made every staff member review this album. Everybody. They all, like you said, they all queued up to give it a fucking kick in. They all queued up and gave it. A, but I, I don't know where it's gone. It's really annoying. I went to find it and I know it's upstairs. And that's in my house somewhere. I cannot find it. So I don't have the Metal Hammer reviews. I don't have the Kerrang! review from this either. I couldn't find either of them. I'm really, really annoyed about it because I think, 
you know, going back and listening to and reading, you know, what Dan Silver, what Ian Winwood said about this album back in the day would have been really interesting. But I do remember there was a full kind of gamut of emotions in that Metal Hammer where they literally had one main review and then everybody who wrote for Hammer got their say on the new Maiden album. And it was such a like, you know, twos, ones, fives, sixes, nines and eight. Like it was all wow. over the place, absolutely all over the place. Um, but because so is the album. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the collector's guide to heavy metal. I did a little bit of a spoiler for this earlier. Gave it a very, very generous zero out of ten. Um, all music gave it two stars, saying on the surface there's nothing terribly wrong with the record, as it delivers all the crunching riffs and demonic horror of their best records. The problem is that there's nothing memorable about the hooks, riffs, or songs, and there's very little visceral energy to the music or production. As a result, it sounds lifeless to all but the most devoted fan. Even those fans, pleased as they may be to have a new Maiden album, will admit that the group sounds tired. Sputnik Music gave it three point five out of five saying virtual 11 is a very long album to listen to despite being only 53 minutes long the album is very repetitive and listening to it takes a lot of patience however virtual 11 has a few gems such as futureal the clansman and como estas amigos with a little more variety it could have been something special but as it is iron maiden's 11th offering will likely be found more on your shelf than in your cd player uh kerrang a couple of years ago did rank every I made an album from worst to best. This album came bottom of the pile. They said Blaze Bailey's immediate family probably wouldn't claim that uh, that era was Iron Maiden's finest and it seems you lot agree there were some good moments on Virtual Eleven particularly in Braveheart themed epic The Clansman but on a whole this is far from classic Iron Maiden. Metal Hammer did the same thing last year but the album as you already mentioned for Dom Lawson uh, the Iron Maiden super fan put this album at number 16 out of 17 with No Prayer for the Dying being the worst Iron Maiden album. Uh, Dom said, yes, The Angel and the Gambler is at least five minutes too long. Yes, the ending of Don't Look to the Eyes of Stranger is a bit weird and sounds like a mistake. But Virtual Eleven is officially better than No Prayer for the Dying for two reasons. It has a Klansman on it, which is a Stone Cold classic, and the unfairly maligned Blaze Bailey sings his heart out throughout, most notably on Breakneck Kickoff Futurial and the gently magnificent Como Estas Amigos, an underrated maiden gem. See, I was so I was kind of nodding away, going, "Yeah, I agree with Dom. I agree with Dom. I agree with Dom." And then he took a left turn, and I thought, and I just went, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. I like Dom Lawson an enormous amount, and he is an incredibly knowledgeable and talented music journalist. Yeah, I I don't know what he's talking about in the second half of that. Yeah, so, that is the moment you start saying the unfairly maligned Blaze Bailey. I'm going, "I'm sorry, what?" Mm. Yeah, uh, the album peaked at number sixteen in the UK album charts, which is the lowest peak. For an Iron Maiden studio album, ever. Uh, Peaked at number 124 in the US Billboard Top 200. Its best charting position, you'll have no surprise when I tell you this, lads, was in Finland, (laughs) where it peaked at number six. Um, It only made the top ten in there, Spain and Hungary. So, you know, it's a little bit of a flop. It still went silver, selling 60,000 copies here in the UK. But, you know, that's the rather large preamble out of the way um lads i want to ask you i'm gonna start with you tom what do you think of virtual 11 by iron maiden um <laughs> elevated pitch it's complicated um, <laughs> th- i have a thing about this album in that i listen to it i haven't listened to it all that many times because i got warned off it when i became an iron maiden fan which was after this came out 
not long after, but after. And I got told, skip it, don't get it. And that was the era where you, there was no streaming, so you had to buy albums, right? So I never bought it. And it was only when streaming came about that I thought, you know, now I can listen to stuff and like not have to you know, pay 15 quid for the CD. I'm going to check it out. And I went, yeah, I've never listened to that again. Um, but I have, once or twice more. And I keep thinking, with a couple of different decisions, this could have been fine. Like If they had done some things like re- making songs that are 10 minutes, 5 minutes, and not repeating song, not saying, well, that hook's not all that good, so we can repeat it 17 times to make it more memorable. Mm. Don't do that. That's not a good idea. Mm. Uh, if we'd had a, a singer who fit our music better, if we had had a production job that wasn't you know, the worst load of toilets in this side of you know the thames it's so it, tame isn't it it's so bland I, I, there's I no really, life in it i really wasn't prepared for how tame this uh album sounds and i know there's plenty of maiden fans who have their issues with kevin shirley but at least he makes them sound massive you know yeah i mean i'm one of those those fans who has certain right. problems with kevin shirley but after uh, every time i hear this i'm like no get kevin back get back now don't let him go anywhere <laughs> clone him if necessary mm. you know it's it isn't i i do think prayer, no prayer for the dying is is worse partially because it just feels it's more jarring of a, a departure from what came before it 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 it's feels like more of a blip in that the album that came before it and the album that came after are both better significantly whereas this kind of feels like a, a the end of a de- decline um and but there i there is a good song in it there is one good song in it which we'll get to which i do i will stick up to and say well at least it has that reason to exist which kind of kind of saves it in a way that i don't think there is a single moment of no prayer for the dying i don't want to switch it off um but it's not good like it, it's 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 a bit of my my kind of emotional relationship with it is a bit complicated but i don't i don't like it i don't want anyone thinking no i'm going to stick up for it cuz fuck that <laughs> I should say, by the way, uh, we haven't mentioned it. Steve Harris produced this record. Uh, well, it was Steve Harris and Nigel Green. And N- N- who's, who's this Nigel Green man? So I did look him up. He has got credits with Def Leppard, Testament, Billy Ocean, Samantha Fox. Uh, Which Testament Kick. record did he do? Uh, the Ritual. He only mixed the Ritual. Oh, oh I okay. Say. Which Katrina Samantha the Fox? Uh, greatest hits jive it says in 1992 Uh, let's see around 1998 what he was doing um backstreet boys millennium um oh yeah dj jazzy jeff and the fresh prince greatest hits he was the engineer Mm -hmm. and mixed that uh katrina and the waves again greatest hits uh Mm -hmm. did stuff on that scorpions like working with pretty decent bands but i mean he doesn't have a wikipedia entry (laughs) <laughs> no. so i had to do a bit more digging than that um so yeah i mean uh, i mean the production is is weak it's just a fact it's awful really bad yeah production's not great on this i mean for me uh i think when future Hill came in i was like it does sound like iron maiden doesn't it i mean it does sound like iron maiden some of it does gallopy stuff like i was a bit like I don't really have that much of a problem with this song, particularly. Futurial is one of the least worst offenders on the record for my money. I I think sometimes this album does sound like Maiden. And I think on the song that I'm pretty certain Tom's talking about, and and if it is the one that he's talking about, then then I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, 
I think so often they sound like a re- incredibly pale imitator of Iron Maiden or or an Iron Maiden covers band or something like that. They don't have like there's quite a lot of this record where they don't have that magic maiden thing in theory all the ingredients are in I'm place i get another paul daniels impression then, Rimfrey, maybe <laughs> in in theory all the ingredients are in place you know and future is quite a good example of that where where all of the iron maiden trademarks more or less are on that song and yet it doesn't quite feel like maiden for me it just feels like maiden in you know it's not quite in gear yet yeah like yeah. the cars, the cars moving, but it's kind of it's juddering and it's it's not quite sure what you're trying to do for it. Feels like it's slowly rolling backwards down a hill. To be honest, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> should we uh, should we talk about the angel and the gambler as a song? Then, I mean, we've sort of already hinted at it, but the angel and the gambler sounds like preschool meatloaf. But he's a bit thick. Do you know? He's a bit. He's a bit simple. Like if Jim Steinman was sort of a bit, a bit stupid. I mean, the strings and the organ on it. Oh, it's so bad. Oh, they are so How, amateur. I, I, I cannot believe Iron Maiden didn't get have enough money to get a real orchestra. Remember though that at this time that was something that was still fairly new as a concept right so if uh one of the kind of really early um what not advocates what's the word i'm looking for pioneers of of really mixing metal and um symphonics was blind guardian and they only really started to do it in 2002 and the one song which was really symphonic took as long they took as long to make that as the other nine songs in the album so it was both extremely expensive and very technically difficult because it was all do all done with tape so in the in the era before digital this was inc- that was incredibly difficult to do, and not very many people bothered. So most people who wanted symphonics used keyboards. But it's worth saying that, that n- the early Nightwish records, which were much cheaper to make than this, and all- used all keyboards, and happened about the same time, have much better keyboards. Yeah, they sound they sound better. I'm not even a Nightwish fan, and they sound better than this, definitely. I mean, the thing is, is that I I mean that's fine, but I mean, I, I just think you would think that. The Iron Maiden are going about everything's got to be right, and we got to, you know, like we want it all to be, we want to do the best thing, we want to make God blow our fans away. And you just think, well, if you are going to use just a little bit of string, which is not, it's not even like it's string driven, they've got more money than like a couple of years ago, like McCallum and Butler. That in nineteen ninety eight, of course, well, surely they well, it had depends. Much, if they got a quite, budget. What if, if if EMI said we've seen the last last album sales, you're not getting that for this album. I mean, possibly, but still, you would think. Look, mate. Basically, they m- could have done better than that. Whatever happens, mm. right? They they had, they had more money than McCalmont and Butler would have done a couple of years before, right? Who were using and uh, who had this massive like string fucking massive pop hit with this incredible string section, which inspired them. And again, they probably had more money than the Manic Street Pre- like the Manic Street Preachers going into. Everything must go. That's a good point. They've using loads of orchestra on mm-hmm. lots Designs of songs. Right. This is one song. When was that Don't Want to Miss a Thing? Stream. That was ninety nine, wasn't it? So, okay, so a year later, Aerosmith. Okay, I'll shut up. Then there's no excuse. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there is. I think you know you're using, and it's it's, you know, it's fairly subtle. Or it would sound very fairly subtle 
if it was good. It, yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? But yeah. it doesn't. It just sounds like... It sounds like my puppy wanting to go out for a shit. <laughs> yeah, it does. It sounds like... I mean, I've not actually heard that, but I can, uh, I'm using... That's the noise he makes when, he, when he's fussing and wants to go for a turd. And, yeah. and I heard that and that this morning and went, that sounds familiar. Does my dog, does my dog need to go to the loo? But that's, that's not the only problem with it, though. Is it? It's not just the fact that it sounds cheap as shit. It's like, you said that it was very subtle there. Um, it's almost, I, I, I think even if it was recorded well, I don't really feel like that part would don't need it at all i mean it's weird and this is this you know it's 10 minutes long and this sort of thing that oh i made this really immersive progressive you know Im- Im- impressive band and it's like no it's just the same thing yeah. over and i cannot believe i cannot believe like I, weird, weirdly i found myself halfway through going this is stupid but i don't mind it but then i was like and I looked. And that's I was Stockholm like, oh, syndrome. Yeah, it's four. Stop. It's only been on for four minutes. I was like, I wonder what the rest of it's going to be like. <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. But what? Here's the thing, right? And I'm aware that the the, the end of the sentence needs to have the uh, joke added to it. But we've all got a grinder story like that. Why is it that long? I've no like, idea. Really? Because uh, no, uh, I'm asking Renfrey. Because Renfrey's always the the guy who's like, well, I can kind of p- imagine through the perspective of the artist that they might have done it for this reason i listen to this and go i'm glad that's it that long? my reputation precedes me <laughs> why is it that long? i haven't got a clue mate i haven't got a clue the last three minutes is just repeating the same really boring chorus hook it's not a very don't good you think i'm place. a savior yeah. do you know don't what it reminds me of I'm a savior. it reminds me of all around the world by oasis which yes. was from the from the album be here now which was oh, when they, they made yeah. a load of really silly choices because they were on so much cocaine that every album idea they had sounded like a brilliant thing for the album right the difference is that iron maiden they're a very clean sober and sensible well they might have a beer but they're, they're a sensible band yeah, right yeah, yeah. i am absolutely certain that none of them were high as a kite but they're doing exactly Exactly the same thing as the Gallagher brothers when they were doing so much Charlie that they probably you know represented about fifty percent of Colombia's national national export, right? And they're making those decisions, and you go, but why? It, 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 that's such a astute point. It is there yeah. all around the world. That's that's a, a fantastic. But it's not even point. as good a hook, is it? No, that's a good no. song. Just too long. But being around the world, or don't you think I'm a, like fucking hell? Yeah. I mean, I do. I do really hate all around the world. But 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 I do agree. I I don't think the song is Best bad. Oasis album. It'd be here now's the best, best Oasis album. Yeah, it's the <laughs> only one I like. Mean that. No, I you don't, don't mean when I was when you I was don't mean that. when I was eighteen. I probably wouldn't have thought that. Now it's the only one I still like because it's mad and it sounds like a band that are completely just going fuck it. Let's try this and see if it works. Whereas like a load of the most of the other ones are just going. Oh, it's really boring. It's the heaviest uh, Oasis album. I like yeah. I like my all my favorite songs of it are the softer ones. Ironically, oh, right. oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I love I love. Do you know what I mean? I think. Come back to the angel of the gambler. The thing that I find unforgivable is the guitars are that bad. I and mean, the guitar solo is is really oh, well. Half the guitar solo is really bad. Awful. And I've never worked out whether that's Yannick or Dave. And I I love Dave Murray so much. I refuse to believe it's Dave, but I don't yeah. actually know. Uh, but one of those two guitar solos just doesn't. I mean, it's it's poor and doesn't need to be there. And 
like there's so many things where you go yeah that that sh- any sensible producer would have told you to take that out yeah i, I don't yeah. know why you've done that i can't put my finger on what it is about that guitarist i know exactly what you mean i can't put my finger on what it is but it came in i was just like this isn't iron maiden this yeah, it's does not, Adrian. not sound like iron maiden it, i know i can all. tell you exactly what it is is that iron maiden's solo sound has been driven by adrian smith who is one of the most precise guitar players around right he is not mr shredhead he's i'm gonna if i'm gonna play quickly you're gonna hear every bloody note mm. and you are going to you are going to really actually hear what i'm trying to play you're not i'm not going to bombard you with like a, a sliding up and down the fretboard and you not be able to pick anything out so to have something then in this where it's kind of sloppy and it's kind of messy and there's really l- notes bleeding into each other, it's yeah. th- that's not Maiden. That's not Maiden at all. Yeah. And it's it contributes to a song which you know it, it, it's so long and it's got so little to say. It, it is like Boris Johnson answering a question in Parliament just without the lies. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's quite a dreadful thing. Oh, um, I, miss these I think we should move on. Lightning strikes twice. I think sounds like Tenacious D in two ways. One, that's really harsh on Jack Black. Well, I was going to say it's in two ways. It reminds me of Tenacious D. In one, is it's a really bad song, uh, and two, it's not funny. So it's basically a Tenacious D song. It's, no, it's still really harsh on Tenacious D. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's quite I harsh mean, on Tenacious D. It's just shit, that isn't it? Terrible. It's, like it's another shit one. Thing is, every Iron Maiden album has a song like this, right? Like it, well, no, Seventh Son of Seventh Son doesn't, and it's why it's my favourite Maiden album. It's the only one where there isn't a song where you have to press skip in the middle because it's it is flawless. The, every Iron Maiden album is an absolute clangor, right? Number of the Beast, most famously, right, which is now hailed as like one of the greatest metal albums of all time, and rightly so. It still has two dreadful songs in it. Invaders is pretty bad, but Gangland is yeah. awful. The difference between Gangland and this is that, well, one, it's not, it's got, that had a better singer on it. But in this case, it's not immediately followed by Hallow Be the Name, which, in my opinion, is probably the greatest heavy metal song of all time. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, if you're going to write that, I don't care how bad the song before it was, the next song is, is not Hallow Be the Name. No. And if you're going, and the other problem is that there are three songs this bad on the album. This song, this song is awful. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's ghastly. Really awful. Yeah, really bad, really bad. I assume. I mean, everyone picks the Klansman as the best song on the album. Hello. Yes. Yes. Yep. It's it's a genuinely good song. Yep. This is the one they played when Bruce rejoins the band. They they kept this song in here. It does sound really sort of Iron Maideny epic. I tell you what though, I just hate the opening. Hate any of the fucking. I tell you, this is getting. This is where I get to the thing right. The hey nonny nonny slow shit in Iron Maiden. This um fuck I, I like fuck that fuck that as a style. Fuck, and I mean every single solitary version of it. I can't really get to is it good? Is it good? Because I fucking hate any fucking. And then we went to the tower in the dead of night, and there was a ghost in the dawn. And then boom, but again, but again, but again. That's every fucking Iron Maiden. Every time they do the fucking hey nonny nonny thing, I'm like, see you later, lads. See you later, you fucking nerds. See you later. I don't want your fucking yodi Englishman. Hello, doth. Doth I doth mine cap to thine, sir, a heavy metal warrior of the like fucking bullshit. Don't like it. 
don't need it, don't like any of it. So I'm just going to preface my thought of this song, which is fine, this song, but I can't be doing that hey nonny nonny shit. We've discussed hey nonny nonny shit in the past. We um, we were yeah. talking about how there was quite a lot of Nightwish and I don't really feel this sits in the, well, it doesn't have the elements of it that I don't. It's not Blind Guardian to bring them back, right? Yeah. There is a lot of that in Blind Guardian, and I am absolutely in love with that stuff. So, so <laughs> I am I am very familiar with with exactly what Steve's talking about. Yeah. And uh, let me just say, if we're if you're ever reviewing a Blind Guardian show, I'm at. Do not stand near me. I don't want to hear your misery. Um, <laughs> I won't be. Don't I, worry. I am really into this stuff, but I I don't hear an awful lot of. You basically just saying you don't like it when metal tries to sound Scottish. Or Celtic. I, I, I'm, or Celtic one, I'm wondering yeah. if you mean Celtic, yeah. I, a fucking Robin Hood men in tights shit. I don't want it. That's not Celtic, I that's f- English. Fu- I don't give a <laughs> fuck. It's all the same to me. It's but all it the isn't. fucking same. But it isn't. I don't care. That's I'm not I mean. interested in the differences. I don't like any of it. I don't like... If you're all you Britons look the same tights, to me. Don't care. Don't care. Don't like old stuff. It's rubbish. Old shit. <laughs> Shitty old shit. I don't want it. I don't Shitty want your. I don't like it at all. Whatever okay. it is, whether it's Gaelic, Celtic, Britain, pagan, what? Fuck off. Rubbish. Just don't <laughs> like it. I don't like any. So I'm just. But I'm fessing up to that and saying, look, I can't enjoy that. That's fine. No one's perfect. That's fair enough. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I th- I think um, certainly. Um, one of the reasons why I like Latter Day Maiden, and I think this is one of the examples of it, is that kind of Celtic influence. You know, like Blood Brothers on the next record is a, another yeah. example of that really big Celtic influence. And when you combine that with um, you know, distorted guitars, um, I think that's part of the reason why people get really welled up and, and, and emotional. There's something about those melodies, and I'm not saying this just because... Um, you know, I have Celtic blood in me myself. I think there genuinely is something about those melodies, which is really stirring and powerful. Um, and you know, uh, it's not like just in- reminds me of men in satin shirts and uh, with sort of curly long hair going forsooth, mine liege, and go, like going into a Weatherspoons and going, ah, good morrow, sir. Ah, one t- t- tankard of the thine finest ale, and I'm like. Speak properly, you pr- it's 2022. You're talking Speak about me. Speak properly. You're talking I'm not about talking about, we I'm all not talking about either of about. you. I'm going to send you a link to some f- songs by Falconer after this and see, what, <laughs> see how many swear words you can use in the space of one sentence. Forsooth, like, Steve, tell me if you like the moving picture Braveheart. Good morrow, thine fine fellow. Could I require from you a, a fucking shut up? Speak properly. <laughs> Speak no, be normal. You're not no. You're weird. So get that fucking silk shirt off. You're wearing fed- wearing a fedora. Fuck, not in a fedora. One of them peak caps. Yeah. Okay. Walk. Ah. Go away. All right. Battle, <laughs> battle, recreationists. Those people. Do you know what I mean? Recreate like reenactors, dear. Reenactors. They like to be called reenactors. Oh, I, I don't. I know. What I like to call them. Fucking bellends, absolute <laughs> bunch of bellends. I've, I've heard lots of them speak kindly of you, though. <laughs> Why do you have to <laughs> yeah, alienate go, so many people? Doth, ma'am, Mr. Hilleth of the Stephen, good <laughs> morrow, yonder gentleman. I hear you have a problem with the way in which I enunciate my. Fuck off. 
<laughs> Fuck off. Uh, all, I, all I can hear of going round and round my head is that thing in Blackout a, a 3 where uh, yeah. it goes to so, someone and she's like some uh, meant to be a witch or something and she says, that it be, that it be. And Blackadder yeah. just says, yes, it is, not that it be. I'm not a tourist. You have a, you have a woman's hand, my lord. Like quoting Blackadder, quoting Monty Python, quoting Black. Oh, God. She reminds me of people I used to work with and I just want to cut their fucking head off. Anyway, Excellent. look, I know you guys like it. I'm glad you like it. You've just slagged off about 40% of my record collection. <laughs> Mate. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. It's not really the records. It's more the, the, the people that make them. And, <laughs> and the people that... God. Anyway, go on. Get you two... Get well, back to, I, I, so the clan is the clansman's good, is it? Look, I think I think I think it's definitely had a resurgence of sorts because certainly the Rock in Rio version. Yes, um, very I mean, much so. You know, I, I think it, it says a lot that when they released the best of from this era, was it called From Dark to Eternity? Tom, I can't remember what it was called now. Uh, that sounds about right. I'd have to check though. When they when they release one of the many best ofs that they fucking really, I mean, Jesus Christ, how many greatest hits albums do you need to release? Um, when they release that one, I think it says a lot that they used the version from Rock in Rio and not this version. Um, it is better with Bruce yes. on it. No, it, it is. Just, it just is. And I've forgotten that my better half is, a, is possibly a bigger Maiden fan than I am and, and for his sins owns Virtual Eleven and I kind of went, I don't want to see it. It's fine. You can keep it in, the, mm. in, the, in that box. Um, but he did say, have you heard the Rock in Rio version? Because I went, oh, well, I probably have, but not for years. He went, listen to that. And I went, it, that's a good song turned into a magnificent one. The Clansman is a very, very good song when Bruce Dickinson sings it. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's a massive difference. There's a massive mm. difference between the two. Um, but you can see, like, th- this is, for me, this is the only point on the entire album, particularly going into Freedom. It's the only bit in the album where I'm like, yes, this is this is Iron Maiden, and this it's is the what galloping it like. Steve Harris based. Yeah, isn't it? it's the yeah. it's the it's the triplets are back, and you've also had lots of you know those epic lead lines because you know Steve had discovered prog by this stage, I think, and there's yeah. got, there's lots of that, and I'm now I'm going, and this is exactly where I want to be. This is like listening to a song that was like left over from the Seventh Son recordings. I'm fine with this, yeah, and it's it's. It's great fun. It wouldn't have fit on Seventh Son, but it's it's no, that kind of mean, mm. it's that kind of style of Maiden. It's the yeah. we can do lots of the kind of wandering lead guitar lines. We're going to do the long build up, and then there's going to be the galloping bass, and we're you know back in you know Nicker McBrain is then going to get to show off what a fucking brilliant drummer he is, and and really kind of be be that musician drummer, right? Who plays who brings that symbol in at just the point that it really adds something to it, mm. um, and it's you know. It's it's the one song where I say, I go I'm not sure what I would cut from this. Like every other song the album has got something where I go I would remove that. This song was like well I'd, I'd like Bruce instead of Blaze please. But other than that, and and it is it is a good eight minutes, isn't it? It's eight and a half minutes yeah. or something like that. Oh no, it's nine minutes and six seconds. Blimey, um, yeah, it it is the only song that I think you know. I, I'm not going to say it's perfect, and and to be honest, Iron Maiden have done these songs so many times now and they've done them better yeah. as well like this is not the best version of them doing this song when the world wind blows is the best version mm, of this song. oh yes where the world wind blows is amazing but no i mean it's it's the only moment on this album which i think is warrants any kind of positive praise 
I think. Yeah. Um, so we should probably sort of sprint to the end. I mean, I, I want to say two, when two worlds collide, I thought the kind of gallop mixed with it, the guitar part sort of reminded me of the cure at one point until this absolutely awful solo came in. I was like, they're trying to sound like the cure. And then he just fucking does a horrible solo. But I have to say, is that really the best vocal take that they could get? I'm glad you said that because I thought it's it's the moment where I can't I I find it impossible to defend anything about Blaze because he sounds like the worst of the first two singers, right? He sounds he's got the kind of the the occasional lack of power that Bruce has, particularly when he tries to go really high. Um, but this is low, so he shouldn't have an excuse because he's got mm-hmm. a lower voice. But he's also got the Paul Diano, I've smoked, you know. 60 Rothmans today gruffness uh, but at least there's no benefit fraud but you know it, it's the, kind of the worst of both worlds of the, the two previous singers and you go well why have you left why have you got that take that's awful absolutely mad it's like you're, you're the vocalist in the biggest metal band in the world or the most important metal but whatever and, and you this is the vocal take are yeah, you fucking kidding me it is unbelievable so that's dreadful it's a rubbish song as well it's rubbish um the Educated Fool, again, terrible vocals. Again, the start of the vocals are terrible. Clearly written for Bruce. He clearly th- was still thinking of Bruce's voice when he was writing it. Yeah, I mean, I please explain to me how this just isn't some shite, wishbone-ash B-side. I mean, you know, metal at this time as well. This is something I wanted to say. Like, you think like metal was like Sepultura and Fear Factory and you just got some old cunt going, I want to pass a point of no return with a slightly chuggy guitar. Also, it's the overdubbing vocals. crap. Yeah. The overdubbing, like, the overdubbing vocals had been, like, Blind Guardian were doing this in 1989, and I use them as an example repeatedly because they're like the German Iron Maiden, right? It's like, this, it's like this, but it's more over the top and less, and it is more po-faced, and it's, it's more serious. And they started doing this in 1989, so by this stage, they, I think their album from uh, that year was uh, Nightfall in Middle-Earth, which is as nerdy as it sounds. And like there was loads of that on there, and there was loads of it in the album before, but they were doing this on like their most famous early song, Valhalla. And they did it by this stage they were doing it really well maiden do it and it sounds crap because they don't they haven't really done it very much and it it's they've just heard kind of heard other metal bands doing it and they're going oh well that's people have done that to make choruses sound bigger let's try that because this isn't very good and it falls in its ass mm. sorry i hate that i hate the overdubbing vocals in that chorus really bad <laughs> yeah i it's mean everything really about it is is bad but I think the worst song. Sorry, Renfield. I don't know if you had anything to say about that song. Nothing. I mean, nothing to add that hasn't already been said. I, I think mm. it's it's. I think it's two really bad songs in a row. Um, mm. And then we get to the, "Don't Look to the Eyes of a Stranger." <laughs> I think that's the worst song on the record. Mm. Don't Look to the Eyes of a Stranger. I'm I think it is top fucking. Two. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, it's fucking rubbish it's the yep. same fucking idea again yeah slow and then like you've done how are you doing exactly the same fucking thing again again yeah the same format of form of song again 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 the orchestra or whatever that is i mean it's obviously not an orchestra unbelievably bad unbelievably amateurish sounding and blaze bailey the don't look to don't look to don't look to don't oh, look that to, bit don't is look just, to the eyes of oh, stranger. teeth pulling when i was 17 i was in a band and you do that rage against the machine repeat the thing 
bit. I used to do that, and it, and but I didn't let it go on for fucking. It's like don't stand... eight minutes and three seconds. Are you fucking mad? <laughs> it's like don't stand so close to me by the police. If Gordon Sumner was useless, <laughs> yeah. right? And here's yeah. the other weird thing about it. Right? They keep bringing it back to the chorus proper, not just that that bit where he just it has been for some reason let free to do whatever the hell he wants and kind of just manages to take a crap with his clothes on, like. It, it keeps bringing it back to this chorus, which isn't very good. And you know, well, can we move on? This not this chorus is not very good. Can we move on? But they keep coming back to it. It's like lockdowns in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty one. It's like, well, we don't. <laughs> no one wants yeah. them, but we seem to find ourselves in one time after time, and we can't fucking get away from them. Is this ever going to end? It's awful. It is awful. And I tell you what, we've we've kind of had a pop at every member of Iron Maiden, apart from Nico McBrain. And I mean, I don't know. There's there's that quote-unquote gallop in the mi- in the middle of this song right about five minutes in and i say we've had a go at nico surely nico mcbrain's not playing that that's surely being played by clive dunn aka corporal jones from dad's army <laughs> because i have never heard anyone sound so old and tired on the drums before like you mate you having a go at lars ulrich i mean he sounds like he's about to pass out Yannick, well, I, uh, not Yannick, goes, um, Nico McBrain on that. He can't do it. My guess is that Nico McBrain took one look at the song and said, well, that's shit, I'm not playing on that. And so and it's a, it's a ringer. Yeah, because he, he, he definitely can do that. Like, Nico yeah. can Well, what's that, going but, on here then? Well, I don't know, but but in terms of, like, is he capable of doing that, he definitely can. Wait, but yeah, I, I, I cannot believe they listen back to that. And went, oh, that bit where the drums all pick up and it all goes double time. And he's like, <gasps> he's you know, like fucking James Corden swimming the channel. It, 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 like, it's unbelievable. The bizarre thing is, though, that I think there is a good song lurking there somewhere. If you like, if you took it back to the demoing stage where you're still trying to build it, build it all together, because there are some nice lead lines. And I don't actually think that Bruce, that Blaze is the problem here, because I think Blaze, uh, if you've got Bruce Dickinson to sing it, it would sound equally as shite. It's, you know, it can't be rescued. The problem is that there's a couple of decent ideas there that have been not really fleshed out, and it's been supplemented by really weak hooks which are supposed to hold the thing together and repeating a weak hook 17 times as i said before does not make it better in this case it just means that we all want kind of the eternal sunshine treatment as soon as we finish the song and like i genuinely i genuinely listened to this song went i need a break i need a break i need a break and i had to listen to anil nathrak for a bit before i listened to the last song because i was just (laughs) like i need to blast my brain free with some shrieking noise yeah, I mean, I I think "Don't Look Sides a Stranger" is abysmal, and then you, you they said end... it's the second worst song, Tom. Did you? Oh, I think the last song is is just embarrassing. Mm. I think "Como Estáis Amigos" is just like, oh, what are you doing? Mm. It's just, yeah. like, it's lame. It's the way you don't let Yannick Gers write songs. <laughs> God, just don't do it. It's, it's the them, most though. offensive thing that I've heard this week that, that you know that didn't involve you know, a tractor and a Tory backbench MP. <laughs> I mean. Fair play to them. They change the formula up here, don't they? By having a slow, boring, crooning start to song and then going a little bit faster. Who saw that coming after they literally done it on every single fucking song in the entire album? That's a bit from Blackadder Tom. That's Blackadder goes forth going by yeah. doing the same thing that we've done every single time before. Yeah, it's a last thing. surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fuck me. This album's got the dynamic range of a car alarm. It is absolutely. <laughs> Terrible. Apart from the Klansman. 
apart from the Klansman, if you like, but that still go. But that still sounds like fucking diddly doddly fucking Frasier. But it does at least have dynamics, right? It that is yeah, a genuinely true. dynamic yeah. song. Like it does go through yeah, moods, whereas the rest of the song, it's just like, oh god, it, it, you do get to the end of it and just I need to listen to something to just perk me up now, yeah. just to something that you know the. It, it's the perfect time to kind of reach from one of the early Metallica records just to kind of remember what your know, fun metal sounds like. <laughs> Como estes amigos, Renfri, for you? Yeah, it's fucking terrible. Um, and yeah, I think it's bad, it's, isn't it? It's, right? I think it's one of the, I think it's one of the biggest missteps in um, Maiden's career, quite possibly. Um, it's just baffling, really, and um, yeah, it's just it's just rubbish. I I I, I guess. I mean, I, I thought Lightning Strikes Twice was probably my least favourite song on this record, actually. To be it honest. is. Um, it's a bad song. Mm, it's a very awful. bad song. But, um, I mean, yeah, Commerce does to me, because it's just absolutely embarrassing and rubbish. It's a funny thing, this, isn't it? Because you look at the stuff from the X Factor and you see how, oh, the new singer and it was darker and all this personal stuff was happening. And you think, well, that should really be the album that we go to for the Bad Iron Maiden album because of the circumstances surrounding it but then yeah we're in a much better place we're much happier and yada yada it just smacks of oh we're going to release the angel of the gambler as a single oh here's us mocked up with festina aspria and patrick vieira oh we're doing a computer game oh we'll produce it with the bloke who did the backstreet boys like every single thing about this just screams like out of touch phoned in water treading folly of arrogance and laziness like that's what this is even as someone who is not a massive not a massive iron maiden fan i will pull my power slave vinyl out if i um which is not a euphemism tom before you get involved in that um, <laughs> i'll pull my power slave out will you is that what you call it um, yeah um <clears throat> vinyl out if i have to prove it but I'm, I'm not a massive iron maiden fan but i look at this and i go I, I I I don't know what you're, you're just you're just so you're just so fucking arrogant to release an album with so many things wrong with it and just be like it's great we were happy fuck you like it's it sucks it just sucks I don't even think it's arrogance I just think it's not being loads able to of see bands have done it I just think yeah. it's not being able to see the wood for the trees to be honest with you I, I think they were incredibly lost around this time the I definitely agree the songwriting is incredibly lazy. Um, even the Klansman, which is by far and away the best track on this album, as we've already said, they have done better versions of that. Um, certainly afterwards and probably before as well. Um, I'm trying to think of one before. Um, but, you know, they definitely have done better versions of what that song effectively is. Um, and it, it, it is amazing how many times on this album that I listened to it and thought, I'm just shocked that five at least five people maybe six people in the room went yeah that'll do that'll that'll be all right like particularly i mean the angel and the gambler i think is the big one for me where it's just like so lazily written and yeah yes, really it's cool. quite quite incredible uh tom final thoughts on the album before we go do the aftermath and then rank it uh, i i kind of agree agree with Rimfree, I think there's another thing that kind of needs to be mentioned as well, and that is that the 90s was a time that forced a lot of bands in in metal to kind of reappraise what they were doing, so they'd make sure they knew what they were doing and kind of up their game or they were going to die out. And the bands who did kind of really shit things in this period were often the ones who 
not only were they not able to do that, but they didn't really need to because they were still doing quite well. Okay, Maiden dropped off a lot in terms of their commercial success, but they they were still all right, right? It's not like, you know, Judas Priest, who suddenly were really fucking struggling, having been one of the biggest bands in the world, and you know, they took Pantera out famously in the early days. Um, they suddenly were really struggling, and they didn't have Halford anymore, and things were really tough. But you know what? You can whatever you think about Jugulator, at least you can see that they were kind of they were trying to have some integrity and 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 really kind of move forward somehow, and yada yada. The bands who did really genuinely shit things were bands who no one was going to say no to because they were still really commercially successful. And I don't necessarily think that was good at a time when actually bands did need to be kicked out of their comfort zone a bit. It's mm, a good point. Um, so um, let's get to the aftermath. Uh, obviously, Iron Maiden split up very soon after this, and were never heard from again. <sighs> I love that. That was the reality of the situation. But no, obviously, that isn't what happened at all. Uh, the band went on tour and played five of the eight songs from this album on that tour regularly. They played Future Real. The Angel and the Gambler, Lightning Strikes Twice, When Two Worlds Collide, and Educated Fool. Didn't even play the fucking Klansman. Nope. The decision-making round here is insane. This is Metallica Mm. levels of decision-making, as we've discussed before. Oh, no, 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 that's worse than Metallica. (laughs) No, no. Well, worse than 90s Metallica, anyway. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Uh, So the band had to cancel some of the dates on the tour, as again, Blaze Bailey suffering from... Uh, vocal issues that were eventually blamed on. I don't know if you know this, but he blamed his inability to sing these songs on an allergic reaction to pollen. Of course, famously, uh, all music venues are um, have lots of flowers grown in them, don't they? Lots of pollinated areas. Uh, I know every time I go to Brixton Academy, I like to sit in the sort of hay bales that they put up. No. No, I, 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 I only knew that because I read it earlier today, and um, I laughed out loud. <laughs> that, that is the least rock and roll reason I have ever heard for <laughs> "sorry, I was shit" <laughs> in the entire world. I mean, yeah. I think Iron Maiden can't get any more nerdy, and then I find out that they're canceling dates because of allergies. Hey, FIFA. <laughs> like, I mean, not not to put down. I mean, I, I, there's some people who have behavior. I fucking horrible. have it. It's awful. It's yeah, horrible. It's yeah, really yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, not to put, anyone, but but of all the reasons, it's a, it's a, it feels a bit lame. Yes. Yeah. Um. I actually found a live review of Iron Maiden on this tour from the Kerrang from the 30th of May 1998. The band played Brixton Academy on the 16th of May of that year, and they were given. A two out of five, two Ks for their live performance. Um, written by Jason Arnop. I'll read it for you now. It says, almost a decade ago, Iron Maiden headlined their first Donington before over 100,000 people. Halloween opened that, the bill. Oh, there's a load of stuff about Halloween. Um, Yay! But, I love that band. I'm going to bin that off. Uh, <laughs> the biggest change Iron Maiden have made in the last 10 years is swapping frontman Bruce Dickinson for Blaze Bailey. The last two albums, The X Factor and Virtual Eleven, have marked a slide into creative stagnation. And contrary to the cliche, you don't really have to admire Iron Maiden for sticking to their guns, etc. Sure, we chastise them if they emerge sounding like corn, but if Judas Priest can keep abreast of the times without compromising themselves, so can bassist Steve Harris and co. 
echoing what you said a little bit earlier, Tom. Uh, still, the academy is packed with people who think the formula is, uh, who like the formula very much the way it is. Thank you very much. They go ballistic when Maiden charge on with Futurell, a black-clad Bailey looking like he's been with Maiden for all of their 22 years. For the next two and a half hours, there's enough testosterone in the hall to power another Rambo trilogy. Sadly, Maiden's insistence on pushing recent material means that gems like Heaven Can Wait and Two Minutes Mid- Two Minutes to Midnight pop up like friends at a party where you thought you didn't know anyone. After the tedious sign of the cross, Hallowed Be Thy Name is a tonic, being a true classic which, looking back, probably played some part in the Genesis of Metallica's one. The latter half of the show mercifully piles on the faves with even what then do number of the beast and the trooper sounding great. Too late. Attendance wise, tonight makes a mockery of anyone doubting Maiden's longevity. Enjoyment wise, it's a different tale. I love Jason Arnott. The verdict says virtual boredom. So um most rocking moment, they used to have Hallow be thy name, sign of the cross, least rocking moment. Best on stage quote, you guys are wild. That's what Blaze Bailey said. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah, so back in the day, Kerrang. Imagine that now. Imagine giving Maiden two Ks or not 10 out of 10 in Hammer. It wouldn't happen, would it? So, you know. It's amazing, it's amazing the power of Imagine. magazines when they sold. <laughs> yeah. Imagine telling the truth about I Am Maiden. Mad, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely mad. Um, anyway. Uh, the tour for the album ended on the 12th of December 1998 and a month later the band held a meeting without Blaze Bailey in which he was ditched in favour of a returning Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith who officially joined in February 1999. Blaze Bailey himself dubbed his five-year tenure in Iron Maiden and an amazing achievement in 2016. He said they had to make a business decision Getting Bruce back was the right thing to do. Look at what they've done since. I don't think anything bad of the guys. In Iron Maiden, I was living my dream and when that dream was lost... I didn't take time out to grieve. And I think he comes across like a decent enough bloke. Yeah, yeah I've never heard anyone either. who's met Blaze Bailey have anything but really positive things to say about the guy. Oh, wrong, so he's just the wrong singer for the band. Yeah. yeah. So we all sort of know what happened next, and I don't know how much we need to go into that, really. Bruce Agent's return and Iron Maiden have made uh, some more albums that, in my opinion, particularly... <laughs> absolutely no better than this one but suddenly you know um they're back and they were cool again so i mean future real and the clansmen uh actually stayed in maiden set lists up until the year 2003 apparently that's the last time they played anything from the blaze bailey era um and it's hard to argue that really Um... i maiden no sorry on the legacy of the beast tour they brought back the clansmen because oh did um... they okay Yes, because I saw it, so I can say that for a fact, um, okay. but, which was 2018, I want to say. But um, oh, right, yeah, okay. other than that, yeah, yeah. It's hard to argue that Iron Maiden didn't make the right career choice here, really. When you look at where they are now and what they're back to, and when you compare and contrast that with that, I mean, you know, like, of obvious thing is obvious, right? I mean, uh, I think, I genuinely think I couldn't tell you, if you gave me Book of Souls, Senjutsu, and this... I wouldn't know which was the worst one, but back me up, Tom. Gives Come f- on, help. Who me. gives a fuck what I think? I'm because... not going to stick up for the last two Maiden records. That's <laughs> oh, <where> okay. <laughs> I I don't have time for either of them. I'm sure there's probably good stuff in there, but they they are so goddamn long, and so much of it is so boring that I just go. I know there's good stuff here. I have a pile of albums over here that I think will be better and shorter. Yeah. So I'm going to go and listen to them, and I can't be asked to look for those those gems because. 
like uh, after the final frontier they just seem to lose all control of well actually on the final frontier the, they seem to lose all control over their ed- internal editing process and s- songs just don't get cut that should be and they just include everything they've written and it's yeah i kind of go no please please don't do that i'd like to ask you renfrey mm. just really quickly i'd like to ask you what is so bad about this record that is so good about Sinjutsu, which I listened to a bit of. Oh, I couldn't listen to all of it because fuck me. But I listened to it and I think, again, Sinjutsu, the production's appalling. Bruce's voice sounds... Bruce is no is, is as bad a singer today on those records that Blaze Bailey was in 1998. I don't think there's much... He doesn't sound good on those records. The production's no good. The songs are phenomenally... Maybe even some of them are even more exhaustingly longer than... You know, when you get like 18 minute long songs and shit on like the Book of Souls and stuff. I mean, they're fucking long, those songs. And I listen to it and I'm just like, I genuinely cannot see how like the Encyclopedia of Heavy Metal or whatever it's called, the guide can give this zero. And then people be giving Senjutsu eights, nines and stuff like I, 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 there's hardly anything in it as far as I'm concerned. None of us here are going to be arguing that either Senjutsu or the Book of Souls are great Maiden albums because, you know, I don't think that. Um, I would say there is nothing on either of those records as cack-handed as The Angel and the Gambler, um, for example. Agreed. Um, or, or even like Lightning Strikes Twice or something like that. I I don't really agree with you on the production. I don't think the production of Book of Souls or Senjutsu is bad. I think it's very samey it's what they've done over and over again for a long time your thoughts tom i think there is nothing on those those albums which is actively offensive I and mean, there's probably a stinker in there somewhere because there always is in the maiden record but i i couldn't be asked to stick around with them long enough yeah to find them bruce but, dickinson wanking off winston churchill in one of them songs is probably like not is i listen to that, i was like oh yeah but that <laughs> but they've been they've been playing how many tours have they done where they've opened with Aces High and they it's been preceded by Churchill Speak yeah but that's that, that's not no, new no, that, right that's that, part of the that's, part of the Maiden fine. canon now that's fine and that is a fucking banger obviously but uh, yeah writing a song like I don't know I mean I listen to that and I'm like you sound like one of them real ale one of them like you know <laughs> fla- flagging the bio on Twitter like end of i tell it how it is end well, of like one of those guys he, he it's, it's it's he might possibly <laughs> yeah. But, yeah he's not a million but, miles but, away but the, from that to be honest. the thing the thing is though there isn't anything on there where i'm looking at and thinking oh fuck off there's a number of moments on this and particularly um como estais amigos and um uh oh god brain's gone angel the gambler angel the gambler remember. Uh, oh, don't don't look stranger, to the eyes, yeah. eyes of a stranger. Oh yes. Well, yes, I yes, am yes, just yes. like, oh, for God's sake! If the if I am made an now kind of flagging, if the engine's stuttering a bit, right? Th- that's all it is. On virtual eleven, the it's not just that the wheels are off; it's that they have set fire to themselves, ripped themselves off the axle, and have charged off in opposite directions, desperately looking for something high to hurl themselves off, so they can end the fucking pain. There, there is a lot about this to be cross about, right? It's, I, th- there's some stuff that we've spoken about when I've been on here before that I've got more angry about, and generally I don't think this is as bad as the, the other two records I've discussed, but. There's an there are things where I just go oh no no don't do that stop it immediately 
You asked me the question, but Tom has answered it uh, uh, far better than I could have. But yes, it is It is those things. There, there's plenty of stuff on Book of Souls and Senjutsu which I find, you know, a bit pedestrian and a bit dull. But there isn't anything on there where I go, oh my God, this is just... Well, Death of the Celts, 10 occasion- minutes long. Death of the Celts, all that fucking shit that's on it. Like... Yeah, but that's a stylistic yeah. thing, right? That's just yeah. something that you don't that's, like. That, right? That's just your taste. That's that, that's not a bad song. That's your taste. I think that's quite different. There are moments on those records. There's the odd moment where I go, oh, well, that transition from that part to that is a little bit sloppy. But, you know, but I find those forgivable. When a song like The Angel and the Gambler, the entire thing is just sloppily constructed. And I mean, boring. The Angel and the Gambler, I was, ama- you know, it's, am- it's almost amazing. I'm almost impressed yeah. that you managed to do that and nobody flagged yeah, it up yeah. and you released it as a single. Yeah. It's almost like this willful act of sort of self-sabotage, isn't it? It's quite incredible that they would do that. Um, okay, fine. It's almost kind of Spinal Tap yeah. stuff, isn't it? That, that we're going to release this because it's 10 minutes long and, and it's longer than we anything we've ever done. We're going to release it as a single. Are you sure? Yeah. This one goes up to 11. I think quality-wise, there is a significant difference between Virtual 11 and the last two records. But like I say, even though I'm probably the biggest fan of the last two records out of the three of us... I don't think either of them are above, like, maximum a seven. Like, absolutely maximum out of ten. Oh, out of ten. Wow, fucking hell. That's amazing. <laughs> you thought you meant out of a hundred. Out of ten? I thought you meant out of a billion. Um... I said a maximum. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I haven't listened to either for ages. You know, like, neither mm. of those records are records that I went back to particularly because the idea of sitting down and listening to them I'm like, well, that's half my day gone. Um, and mm. there isn't enough material on there to make it worth that. So I don't really listen to them all that much. So I'm being somewhat kind because I like the band. I, if I went back, I'd probably, I might be like oh, maybe six, but, you know. I think they should bring back the death penalty for um, for that fucking Celtic song. I think they should just, they should be locked up in a Thai prison for that. It is fucking absolutely yeah, but Steve, if you if we did that, you would kill half of my favourite musicians. <laughs> no, mate, I'd let them off. I'd let them. I'd say because they're they're of, you know they're of no bother to me. This is the thing: they exist in a totally different ecosystem. You don't I'm need happy to, is, to you know live and let live. But I made an invade my space when they do these things. They get in my face like fucking tear or you know ailstorm. Uh, <laughs> Elstorm, you know, tourist sass or whatever. Like they don't, they don't get in my face. Whereas oh. I made and do. Oh, Teresa's. Being... Now there's an out about a band who should have a broken record because they released an album that they... genuinely killed their career. Yeah, we might have one of them in there. I'm sure we've got an Elstorm album coming up at one yeah. point. But anyway, we need yeah. to rank this. We need to rank this and fuck off. So um, I'm going to say I don't really know where to put this, but. I want to put it below Your Love to Hate This by Richard Blackwood because I think that would be really funny <laughs> to say that Iron Maiden are worse than Richard Blackwood. I just think it would be really funny. So I'm going to say for no other reason other than that would make me funny. Right. Uh, make me laugh a lot. I'd quite like to put it below Richard Blackwood. There's nothing as good on this album is <laughs> as one, two, three, four, get with a wicked. Can I get a whoop whoop? It's get with it. Can I get a pop pop? We whop and all. 
Arby runs this show. Oh, There's nothing as good as that. Is it? The Klansman is definitely better than that. Um, and Tom has already pointed mm-hmm. out, and Tom is part of this process, even though he hasn't heard all of the records, he's still part of this process. Uh, Tom has already said that he thinks it's the least worse, the least, yes, the least worst of the two that we have currently done. Uh, and both Megadeth and Machine Head are both... Um, Above Richard Blackwood, are we saying? Below Richard Blackwood? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Also, I, ch- I checked uh, when uh, Iron Maiden did their last live DVD, they were still playing The Klansman in, then. That was recorded in September oh, really? 2019. This must, so they, okay, it must be old old news that I said with Iron Maiden. So they they have... Um, they the, the fans still do like at least one song on the album, which, yeah. you know, mm. I, I mean, can't I, say is true of Richard Blackwood. I, I'm not an expert, but I'm guessing. <laughs> I mean, believe me, this album is well, better than the Richard Blackwood. As a fan of Richard Blackwood, I can tell you that I am a fan of that song. So Yes, but there's yeah. one of you. There were yeah. several tens of thousands of people in Mexico City. That's true. Mm, that's true. Okay, so you reckon it's better than Supercharger as well, do you? Because I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, to me, I mean, it's, I'm not letting this go above American Life by Madonna with the greatest Bond theme ever on it. Absolutely not. Well, like, I'm, I'm going to say I definitely prefer this to Super Collider. So, you know, let's forget that. Um, this or Supercharger? Um, that's a tough one. Because there's more things on Supercharger that I like. But there's more embarrassing things on Supercharger. American yeah. High, Renfrey. American High. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, American High is absolutely embarrassing, but yeah, but so's the Angel and the Gambler, and so's, so's the Angel and the Gambler. You know. So's yeah, there's a lot of so's Nico McBrain's legs giving out halfway for a song. So's the fake fucking. I mean, I don't know that any like in terms of. I know Tom, you love to pick a little moment and go. That moment crystallizes like the absolute pinnacle of sh- and, and that tarzan uh, bollocks is so but i mean it is so yeah, bad it's awful. And, and and it's really obviously bad as well whereas there's stuff on this i just think throughout where you go are we still on this bad bit again still we still do we're we still doing the bad strings oh you didn't bother we're with st- the strings we're still being warned not to put to look into the eyes of a stranger yeah, for the 17th for time in three minutes yeah. so long and i i, I yeah the I solos are terrible as well. I think we sort of, you know, hate that like yeah. so much. And you know, Supercharger. That's it's just they're they're fairly similar, I think, because Supercharger. I think like that doesn't sound like Machine Head, and this doesn't really sound like Iron Maiden. Mm. And they both mm. of them, they just sound like a band going, oh, don't know, and getting it yeah. really badly wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that, definitely. It, it does feel like somewhere around Supercharger. I mean, I feel personally that I think between the two, and I know you're pointing out American High, Tom, I do, I, I, it is awful. I mean, American High might be the most embarrassing moment on both of these records, but, you know, it also has Bulldozer. It also has, um, what were the other songs? That we, I mean, I ended up liking like four songs from the record. Crashing around Yeah, you. I think I liked at least three I, I like crashing around you. I know you're not a fan of it, Tom, from what I recall. No. But you know, I I also like um, the title track, and there's one in the middle that I really like that I really like that I think is decent as well. So, um, and you know, I, I've I've whilst it's a long song, and I do think it's a very good song, 
it is just one song with the Klansman. So I kind of feel. I think you might be convincing me to your way of thinking yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I think I think I actually do prefer Supercharger, but I don't think there's loads in it. So I think we're I, looking. I've got I've, I've got one thing that does. <laughs> There is actually another parallel between Machine Head and Iron Maiden in that they had to kind of change. They both had to change and do something else to kind of come back to where they were. So Machine Head went away, ditched all the shell suits, got Phil Demmel in, made through the Ashes of Empires, and then they were on their way back up. True. Iron yeah, Maiden ditched Blaze Bailey, Blaze Bailey, got Bruce back in, made brave new world and then they're on their way back up and you could go well you know which harmed the career more and which one came back from it the quickest in the aftermath of it you know who did like is it really that big a deal and i would i would be tempted to say that virtual 11 was less harmful to iron maiden's career than supercharger was to machine head's career so that's kind of a i don't know if that balances it back towards the other direction for you at all tom if we take that context into it as well it's so in the sense that iron maiden like two years later were doing brave new world and we're once again and we're one of fine. The heavy metal bands yeah, and we're like arena, and we're massive, arenas yeah. and fucking rock and Rio and machine shit. head took got 10 dropped years. Yeah, yeah got dropped and had to go and shop around this new album and then release an album which you know people love you know people love the Ash of empire we have all kind of said that like it's not quite as good as people make out it's just that it's much better than yeah. supercharger oh, I, I was the exception to that i loved oh yeah you love I, know, it, yeah, yeah. I know you too are less than key on it yeah yeah, yeah no, i'm not not impressed um but then the blackening is only th- four years down the line six 2007 Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, the other argument to that is is um, you know Maiden were arguably crap for you know nine years, ten years, ten years before this. Mm. This is the end of that period. So um, you know, I mean, but I can't argue that the album, like, it's just taking the album musically. I think I do personally, like, obviously, I'm going to say this, but I do think it's worse. Like, for me, it's worse than Supercharger, and it's objectively mm. worse than Supercharger. It's longer, it's got more. If picking the, if you put both those albums together, what are the 10 most embarrassing things across two albums? Yes, Tarzan on American High is number one, but the other nine are Iron Maiden things from, from like. I don't know if that's true. No, maybe. Honest. At least the top five. I'd say the other four would be crap blaze bailey vocals endless songs his voice shit production production yeah it's a shit it's a shit it's a shit show or the production's awful on both of them let's face it yeah um i hate to break it to you steve supercharger's three minutes longer than this album so you can't have well i tell you what it says a lot that it feels shorter though doesn't it no, they both feel like an. In, like well, they both marathon. do, but if you said to it's me, it's like twenty six miles and a hundred meters, and twenty six miles and one hundred and twelve. Yeah, it's. it's uh, I've still run a marathon. And I'm still in yeah. great pain. I feel like Supercharger feels shorter to me though, because Rob Flynn's not just going Supercharger, 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 <laughs> Supercharger, Supercharger. No, he's going. Supercharger. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> exactly, only for one words. second. <laughs> 
What's, yeah, what's, what's more annoying? What annoys you more out of these two things? <laughs> or don't you think I'm a stranger? Don't you think I'm a stranger? Don't you think it's that he's fucking Joe Pasquale? Blaze Bailey is doing. Blaze Bailey's doing Joe Pasquale. He's doing. I know a song that will get on your nerves. I know a song that will get on your nerves. Get on your nerves. Get on your nerves. I know a song that will get on your nerves. Yeah, he's like the fucking Crazy Frog. We had this shit with the Crazy Frog. Crazy Frog's got more lyrics than Blaze Bailey. <sighs> I speak of repetitive. I'm having a flashback to a minibus right you right you yeah. and I took yeah. about seven years ago. Oh wow, <laughs> this has gone on long enough. But I now want to know about this. Oh, we were just yeah, stuck that, in... that can't go on. Oh, we were okay. just stuck in a minibus with Elstorm. The end. And, uh, y- the yeah, end. yeah. There is more to it, but none of it is broadcastable. Yeah, oh god. I think I've heard the story, but I'm going to so, ask for it afterwards. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not right. so Elstorm make bad music, but also Tom and I are personally invested in not liking that band for personal reasons as well as them and that wouldn't help even if i'd never met them and musical still hate them. and oh, musical musical. musicals one but musicals one definitely musical is the top reason but Brilliant. it's nice to have a backup reason to hate someone i think well if you want to hear that story you can sign up for 100 pounds to our patreon. patreon.com forward slash right podcast <laughs> slash ruin our careers yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've tried. They, they've tried their best at ruining their own career. Those fucking pricks. They <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't Hasn't seem worked, to be able to do it, which is mad. Um, anyway, look, I, I'm going to say for me, it's obvious. Supercharger. I think it's. I think this is worse than Supercharger. That's what I think. Um, I don't. So I guess Tom has the casting. The, I, the I would say right. if it is worse, it's only by a little bit. Uh, they're, they're so bad for you're, different reasons. You're meant to I be. Think. You're meant to be. The, the it, I mean, if, <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to get off the fence, I'm going to say Supercharger is 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 better, but by like one place and one place only, not significantly. They're okay. very close in does, shitness. Does that mean we put uh, Iron Maiden at number forty-eight? Then I mean, I I would be happy with that. Where where where's number forty-eight, Renfrey? Because I haven't got. You need to be more. Um, so Machine Head Supercharger. <laughs> It's yep. 47 at the moment, and Madonna, mm-hmm. Madonna, American Life. Oh, but you know that record as oh, well, don't you? So yeah, unfortunately, no. I take my, I take it back. Madonna's above this. Yeah. <laughs> so Tom, you think? So you you think this is better than Supercharger? No, no. I think Supercharger, Supercharger. Is, is, is is narrowly better. Okay. And I think Madonna is definitely better. So I think what we're going to do here, Renfrey, because we should end here. So you think this is better than Supercharger, Renfrey? No, I think Supercharger's better. Oh, so we all agree. You're fucking awful at this. You're always getting your <laughs> shit mixed up. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to place it. I think Attila is an absolute mess. So we're going to fucking forget that. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, can't believe, I can't believe I'm putting Iron Maiden above you too. That is a disaster. But I am going to put it between Attila and Macho Man Randy Savage because I want my... Um, I want my thing of Iron Maiden being worse than somebody really stupid. And if you said to me, like, can do you want to listen to this disaster or do you want to listen to Macho Man Randy Savage? I'm listening to Macho Man Randy Savage all fucking day long. I will listen to that on loop for six months rather than listen to this album again. So I'm putting yeah, it... Yeah, it's fair, to be honest. Uh, it's a great... It's a, it's a hilariously bad album. Um... Match Man Randy Savage, but you know, uh, I was kind of enjoyed being in its company. I had no yes. fun. I had no fun in the company of this record whatsoever. I'm going to reach back That's and um, get a. Oh Christ! I'm going to get another another album from the Hat. See what we're doing next week. 
oh, this would be quite interesting. Other voices by the Doors. We've never done anything about the Doors before. What a shame that we're doing their worst fucking album uh, uh, when the first time we ever speak about them. Because I do like the Doors. Are you a fan of the Doors, Tom? I don't. I I would kind of know the biggest songs and would say, "Hmm, not really. But I've never really dived in enough to have a a sensible opinion. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's what's happening next week. We'll be back with other voices by the Doors. Should be quite interesting. Thanks very much for listening. We appreciate that. Uh, it was a long one. It was an epic one. Maybe it went on too long. Probably went on uh, nearly as long as the Angel and the Gambler's fiftieth chorus, didn't it? It was quite a long, quite a long old one. But it was uh, lovely to have you, Tom. We always we always kind of stretch him out when you're here because I just like spending time with you. To be honest, mate. Oh, thank you. It was f- thank you very much for having me. I've had a a, a horrible time listening to my <laughs> moment, but a lot of fun I talking think, to you too. I thank think. You, I think. In terms of like metal albums, I think we've there's there's definitely a uh, I think it's not Jugulator, it's the one after Jugulator um, by Judas Priest. It's not as we you you've kind of covered most of the really bad metal albums. I mean, I would say come back for St. Anger when St. Anger comes out, but I mean, Lord only knows when that might be. I think Cold Lake by Celtic Frost is in there as well. So you know, oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, so I'm sure there'll be something that we'll get you back for. If not, we'll just um, <laughs> drag you kicking and screaming into the Duran Duran episode. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, Duran Duran are one of my least favorite bands ever. So if they're worst out, my dread to think. Yeah, that could I mean, be an interesting one, couldn't it? Actually? <laughs> We should get uh, you on Riot Act rather than... I, I feel bad that we keep getting you on Broken Records. Cause, yeah, like, well, we'll do, we'll do some sort of podcast mashup again with, uh, with um, Hellbent from Metal, I'm yeah. sure. And, yeah, um, like... yeah, anyway, all right. Well, listen, thanks very much for listening. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Renfrey. We'll be back next week with The Doors. See you then. <laughs>